Edward Ruiz. Thanks for coming in. Versus Ruiz. There's some. Yeah. <laughs> the white, the yeah, redneck. Yeah. Right, Ruiz? <laughs> try, try to give him a little roll and cut you some slack. Uh, where, where are your parents from? They're from Monterrey. Monterrey, Mexico. Okay. They moved here in the 60s, which is a real strange time to move to the United States. So. And uh, I only know Mexico City and Cancun. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. So put that on the map for me. I know both of those. So, um, um, Monterrey is close to Texas, so it's in the northern part of Mexico. And uh, so, uh, you know, Cancun is off by the coast, so this is just inland, just straight inland, and uh, right below Texas there. Got it. And what's it kind of known for? It's an industrial city, so they do a lot of manufacturing. Okay. Um, And how old were you? Oh, they moved here in the city. So have you gone back? Do you have family that's still there? I used to go there, yeah. We used to go there when we were growing up. We we were very connected with our family still, you know, at that time. I guess my dad would always go visit his uh, brothers and sisters, so we would always go back. Do you drive or fly? Lots of drives. That was like in the (laughs) 70s, so we had the big van, you know, with uh, teardrop windows and all that. The kids would just pile up in the back and make a big old road trip or whatever out of it. So we, um, we were in those vans back then. So uh, you're an artist and a magician. Yes. How I think of those things as very opposite things. Um, talk me through which one came first. Well, you know, so we talked a little bit about my family. And uh, you know, I guess a big thing that they kind of pushed on us growing up as kids was, you know, coming to this new country, you know, being successful, getting a job, you know, finding something that you could do to, you know, make a living. So my dad was always kind of like pushing education and getting a job. What are you going to do? So that was kind of like a huge thing when we were just growing up is just focus on that. Uh, But as a kid, you know, I had all my interests, you know, aside just my studies in school and all that, you know, I wanted to play and, you know, read comic books and, and I got interested in magic. And of course I was really good at drawing. So that's what I like to do. But my dad was real, you know, he just was kept, kept giving me examples of just uh, success stories. You know, here I had an uncle that was an architect. So it was like, here's what you do if you want to use your art. You know, you follow this and you can become an architect and this, you know. So, so I started doing that. So I started taking architectural classes and, and getting my drafting and all that kind of stuff. And that's basically what I thought I was going to be. I was like, okay, well. I'll just be an architect, you know. All right, so. You, you know, know, some magic tricks. Uh, yeah, that, <laughs> and I was doing magic, but that was just kind of stuff, card tricks at home and all that. But um, I realized in high school that the architecture was just too straight line stuff, you know. It was just, it was really boring, actually. And, uh, I mean, there were some challenges, yes, you know. I mean, you'd have, like, a plot of land, and you had to kind of, like, figure out, you know, if you were a five family. Was it kid. typically a lot more corporate than you thought it would be when you it first was, started? It was, a, it wasn't even, cor- we hadn't even gotten to like the buildings or anything like that. <laughs> we were just doing like designing residentials, but on property. So it was kind of, I mean, it was kind of cool. They'd throw you like a, here's a property with trees and stuff. Try not to tear anything down and build your house according to, you know, where the sun rises and all that oh. kind of stuff. So, I mean, there was some challenges there and it was, you know, I guess I didn't know enough then. I was just a kid. So there was just too much to, figure out but you know i did the i did the projects yeah because i look at it i'm like man i want to be gaudy you know like i want to just build crazy buildings that people take tours of to see all these years later and then build a church and get run over and (laughs) last part yeah but (laughs) build a giant church that's still being built um 
That dude's crazy. Oh, I know. I've I've went there to the, the what is it, La Secreta Familia something, or La Familia, something? Yeah. yeah, Familia Secreta or something like that yeah. in Spain. I saw that thing. Yeah, it too. is still just yeah. It's got all the 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 whole uh, crazy thing is when they're like these the structure mm-hmm. uh, or the beams are like trees. So we try to in- incorporate nature and everything. So they're like so yeah. the beams. The reason they go out, they're like trees, but they're also structurally strong. And then I was like, why is this so? Um, why are these different colors? Did you did you take the tour? I didn't actually go into okay. it. Okay. So inside they have the like distance. beams mm-hmm. and the beams go and they turn into like trees essentially. Oh, they're okay, actually yeah. structurally strong too and they look super cool. And it's because he loved to pull from nature. Yeah. I, um, I saw some of his other stuff that he did there that we got, got <laughs> Yeah, like the wavy, through. the wavy link right, one. Right, right. And there was like um, some deck thing that we went up to <laughs> that had all his sculptures and stuff. Yeah. And it was just all in that um, same style. But anyway, he these beams in the church, sorry mm-hmm. to just spit at you. I don't have COVID. Um these beams, <laughs> beams, uh, they're all different colors because they're made out of different materials because he wanted to, like, test different types of stone to build, yeah. like, just a real interesting That's guy. one really cool thing about Spain and, and just the Spanish design in general is that they do that. They get all these little pieces of glass and these tile and they're real – I can see where they get that style because it's everywhere there and you want to kind of just grab little samples of – Barcelona is my, is the only city with public transit that I've ever enjoyed. Yeah, Barcelona is awesome. I spent uh, about two and a half weeks there and on Las Ramblas there where the artists stay and all that. Very inspired place. Yeah, awesome place. Yeah, I, um, I spent two weeks there too. Where did I stay though? Just different Airbnb is just going to hopped around, but I loved mm-hmm. how easy it was to get around and the yeah, Google maps yeah. worked super well there. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. like Very New York so. city, I get lost in their train station every time. London, same thing. Yeah. London, I don't even try. I'm just saying I'm going to spend $8,000 on Ubers. And yeah. Just... Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, one time in London, I, I did all the subways and stuff. I just stayed underground. Then I ran into some locals and were like, Stay out of the tunnels or, you know, <laughs> I was like, what? I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> so, I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And I remember, uh, did you ever go on the double decker bus? Uh, no, I never did. Actually, yeah. I never rode one of those. Yeah. I was thinking like, oh, it's going to be great. I got on. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. this is just a bus. That's two yeah. stories. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, they're that's, neat to see. When the first time I saw one, I was like, yeah, well, I'm here. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Trafalgar Square. There's the buses. I think everywhere. that's like London in general. I'm not a big London fan. It feels a lot like Seattle, and I hate Seattle. Um, in the sense of that, it's like cold, rainy, and you get there, and you're like, oh, I'm in London, and you realize yeah. one, it's huge, mm-hmm. and two, like everything's really old, and like, oh, that's cool, but like that kind of wears off quickly. I like um, that though. You know, I, I love <laughs> London. I got to tell you. So we might be on opposites. Good. Let's opposite. talk about this. Well, I, you know, I love all the major cities and I love New York. And, and <laughs> in my 20s, I spent a lot of time there. You know, I would, being an artist growing up, I felt like it was something that you had to do. You know, I had to go to the galleries in New York. You had to go hit the streets there. And I had friends that were artists that were going to their university out there. So, uh, you know, I'd visit them. And I just got into the whole Brooklyn, you know, in the 90s and stuff. So it was a lot different, you know, real punk rockish kind of stuff. And uh, so I spent, I love New York, just going there, riding a bicycle and just looking around and stuff and the skyline and getting to know all the streets. Like I really kind of went down every street, you know, cause I had a bicycle and I would just go street Must be nice street. being rich. Yeah, no, no, I wasn't rich. I, was just, I got a bicycle, bro. I, oh, I know, but you know, in New York, I thought I was something on a bicycle. I got here's a quick funny story though. So I, I've already been riding a bike and I've been everywhere and I was like, I can get from here to there on a bike. Man, this is awesome. Lock up my bike, get from point A to point B. 
And uh, I was thought I was doing really good. You know, I was hitting the medians and I was like getting across. I wasn't getting hit by any taxis or anything like that. But all of a sudden I was kind of waiting, I think, for a red light or something like that. And it, it took about, I don't know, about two or three seconds. But I was completely, I don't know where these guys came from. But all of a sudden this bike gang, you know, I'd been riding a bicycle all over New York and I didn't really run into too many bicycle people. And uh, then all of a sudden I'm surrounded by this bicycle gang. They just come up on me like they're just like, I had no idea where these guys were. But one at a time, there, one guy comes flying over my head. I was like, what the hell? Another guy comes zipping by like maybe 10 or 12 of these guys are all like doing like these crazy stunts all around me, like just eating me, eating me up, just like having my lunch, you know, and I'm just like. Yeah, all of a sudden I'm like <laughs> this little tiny little baby. They're like, oh, please don't hurt me. You know, I thought I was something, you know, in New York. And I just ran into this bicycle, this New York yeah, bicycle Yeah, because I knew how to bicycles. Right, and they just <laughs> tore me up. These guys were just like doing this crazy insane stuff. So your stuff. ego was hurt? Oh, very much so. <laughs> yeah. Then I realized, you know what? There are some amazing people in New York. And you don't see them. Uh, they just, they're like that, like a blink of an eye. They're just yeah. zipping past you. Yeah, so... I guess I'm just too practical. Maybe is I hate New York uh, for these reasons: cold, overpriced, not everyone's friendly. Very true. So, Very like, true. I get real upset when I go to Chipotle every day, every every other day. Um, now that I'm married, I've cut it back to three times a week, um, and it's it's seven bucks. You know, it's like seven dollars ten cents is my order every time. In New York City, it's $14. Nothing's changed about it. It's just 14 bucks, And I need to get an Uber somewhere. And it's, you know, $60. And uh, I hold the door for somebody. And the lady yelled at me. She's like, I can hold my own door. I was like, okay, got it. <laughs> yep. If you come from Dallas and you're kind of doing your Dallas nice stuff, yeah, it doesn't go over well, I come from well Nashville, there. so. Okay, yeah. Same thing, though. South, yeah. you know, um, we're a little more friendly like that kind of stuff. We have those mannerisms, <laughs> and they're just kind of like, they don't care about yeah, that. Yeah, so I'm like, yeah, this city sucks. It's like overpriced. It's overpriced is my number one in everything. Because I, I just, it's not even a money. It's not like the price. It's just like, why am I paying $9 here for something that's $2 somewhere else. Like that bugs me. And I get why. Like I yeah. understand economics enough to know that. Well, I always thought, and this, I could be wrong about this because I haven't been to New York in a long time. But when I was going there regularly, I remember friends that worked there were like, well, you're spending like Dallas dollars in New York. You know, it's kind of like, so I was like, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you're earning New York money, it's like, and spending it there, it, do, it doesn't feel like you're taking mm, those big hits. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's expensive. Because yeah, I have a <laughs> you're making the money that's equal to a, the amount of the new fourteen dollar you know uh, meal that you're having. That's true. Yeah, I have a friend whose apartment uh, is like thirty five hundred bucks a month there, mm-hmm. um, and he's doing he's probably doing like fifteen twenty a month, uh, and it's like not you know and like everything he does is like every time he goes out to eat it's like a hundred bucks you know it's yeah. like. But it's like his income semi matches it. It's, yeah, it's kind of like the, the numbers are, might be a little bigger, but it's kind of like you just moved your bracket. Yeah. Up little, but you're still <laughs> yeah. sort of in that. You didn't really gain much there, but um, the numbers look bigger. So weird. Okay, so take me take me through. So you're artist. Uh, what were you a specialty? Special? What kind of specialty in art? Uh, I started to focus on becoming an illustrator, and that's what I went started doing in college. And uh, because um, I did like the finer points of like architecture, you know, really getting in there to the nitty gritty of like the details and stuff. 
and I have found in my life that I'm really detail oriented. Uh, but uh, I didn't like the uh, that straight line stuff, you know. So I wanted to get real serious and get into what I was doing, but uh, at the same time, I wanted to get away from the ruler. So I wanted to have some freedom to just kind of, you know, uh, be a little more, I don't know, just organic, you know, if I wanted to or whatever. Just the straight line stuff was seemed like kind of in, inside the box. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, you know, not that I was like this big outside the box thinker. I just didn't want to make boxes. Yeah. You know, it's a so, little boring. <laughs> yeah. So then I got really into the other thing that was really um, important was to be able to draw people and paint people. And uh, so I got really good at making portraits. So one of the things that I was known for then uh, is doing portraits of people. And so I got a lot of jobs doing portraits. You know, I did start, of course, doing portraits for my family. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, whoever, they would give me a gig or whatever, and I would do some f- other family member, and then they'd bring, you know, that old thing. Do you thing find that, that doing I, people's dogs is a big moneymaker? You know, I saw people doing that now. Now that I kind of <laughs> became a magician, I'm kind of like, God, I'm glad I don't have to do that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and nobody back then was bringing me dog photos, but they had a lot of like the, here's my baby, and can you put my baby here with you know, with <laughs> this other photo and, you know, they'd have like all these like pictures and this was before like Photoshop and yeah. stuff. So they'd have like some little picture here and a big photo here. And they're like, can you put all these people together in yeah. one thing? And I love when people oof. just think that you're just like some robot. They're like, Hey, yeah. just robot. Can you, <laughs> and I was, and I'm, I'm there. I am enlarging this and stretching that, you know, and I'm like, this person wasn't even born when this photo was taken, but I, there they are. And I love when people, let's say you make like $500 in a portrait and people are like, Oh man, you make so much money, but you spent oh, yeah. like a hundred hours on it. <laughs> like yeah. people just yeah, never yeah. do. Uh, like people are like, Nathan, you make like, you know, you make a good living. I'm like, yeah, I also up to 1am, <laughs> you know, like I spent a lot of time, but you know, I, the one thing about art that I kind of found out, and especially during the pandemic, is that I can spend a lot of time like just doing that. And uh, so, you know, paintings take time. And, and that's the whole thing. Uh, if you don't have the time to do that, you won't complete it. So if you're busy with other stuff, then, uh, you know, the, the painting becomes Do you secondary. find the hardest part is having the income to support yourself while you work and finish a project? You kind of have to have some money to be able to just kind of go off and do that stuff. Because uh, otherwise you're worried about making money. Yeah. And you won't have that, uh, you know, desire to sit there. And So I'm not a, douche, a douchebag, but my eyes are just like acting up today. So I'm going to put yeah, these I on. I have a lot of allergies too. So, um, so no worries. I'm not, you know, I don't think I'm anybody special. Uh, I actually I got like these the glasses, in Barcelona. Though. Did you? Okay. okay. Uh, have you? Did you ever go to uh, Etonia? It's E-T-O-N-I-A. Is it a place inside of Barcelona or is it like yeah, a little... Yeah, it's like a... It's a sunglass. Or it's a oh, restaurant. It's a sun- yeah. Oh, oh no. Uh, well, the last time I was in Barcelona was about uh, 2004, so things okay. have probably changed. So check this out. It's like Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory mm-hmm. for sunglasses. So you walk in, it's uh, it's uh, eight by eight square boxes from floor to ceiling. Nice. Uh with a uh, one of those ladders that goes on the yeah yeah like a library type thing yeah or yeah one of those mm-hmm. and so when you're like oh I want to see those glasses they like yeah. hop on the ladder and go all the way up and move themselves and like oh this one here and take yeah. it out well you know um, so I hadn't been there but just what you described is what I love about some places like Barcelona they specialize in certain things like they just do glasses. And that's all they have. Or yeah. they'll just make jeans. Like I noticed, I was like. Or leather. A lot yeah. of leather shops. Oh, a lot of leather shoes. I was, you know, I wanted to buy new stuff when I was in uh, Spain. I was like, I'm not bringing a whole lot of stuff. I'm going to buy stuff when I'm here. Uh, you know, because I wanted to kind of dress like, you know, the locals there. I, I kind of wanted to blend in or something. 
But I did notice a huge difference in the type of clothing that I brought, what I did bring, the basics, versus their basics. Way more fashionable. Like, you know, just like even just a basic pair of jeans was just had like this extra level of like flair to it. Yeah. Everything, the shoes. I mean, it was like, I just want just a big little pair of shoes. No, yeah. there's not a regular pair of shoes. Everything's a designer pair of shoes. There, <laughs> you know? yeah. I really love Barcelona, man. Me too. Me too. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, um, so, okay. So outside Barcelona was like the young city, you know, it's where like all the, from what I remember, like a lot of the students there that go to Do the you love Mexico city? Mexico city is great as well. Actually, yeah. Cause I'm a, a big, so I, I lived city. in Cadessa for a little bit. Um, okay, yeah. La Condesa. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm wondering if there's anything of why, like, I think both I have that these... area as well. My brother went to a university there, um, a finance university, uh, trying to think of the name of it, La Impade or something like that. Uh, I don't know. I went to his graduation <laughs> there. Uh, how long ago? Uh, maybe 2008, somewhere around uh, there. Have you ever been to El Moro? It's the churro place, El Churro, sometimes. No, what is it? It's like these, uh, have you ever been to Ginny's Ice Cream? No. Oh, okay. Uh, you ever been to a specialty ice cream shop? Kind of. <laughs> Where they have different ice creams, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like the super bougie, though. Something. Like, they make the they make the waffle cone in front of you kind of thing. Everyone oh, no, knows. no. Oh, Usually okay. they have that already made, yeah. I've never seen them make the, the cone. Oh, man, I got to... I know what that we're doing great, after though. this. Yeah, that does sound great. <laughs> I do like ice cream. Um... Anyway, it's like that for churros. So they oh, like, okay. they now make I know the, what churros the churros in are. front of you. Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. I was like, uh, what is that? No, no, no. I know what you're talking about. No, I haven't been to one like what you just described, but I do know what the churros are now. Yeah. Those are yeah, awesome. Yeah, those little desserts and stuff. Yeah. Very yummy. So in, in uh, La Condesa there, um, is that by that park? Do you remember if that was yeah. by that park? Chipulta, Chipulta I don't know the park, name. It was just by a park. Grasshopper Park or whatever that is there. There's yeah. like all of Mexico, all like Polanco, Cadessa, and Roma are just like the nice rich areas where there's tons of parts yeah, and it's yeah. safe. And yes, pretty like, much. It's like that's that's where I hung out. I wasn't yeah. much to going to visit gang sites. <laughs> right. And my brother is kind of like that too as, as well, you know, so he likes to live in kind of like the fancier places. He graduated from SMU. So. <laughs> oh. From SMU, he yeah. went to this, to this uh, um Sort of like this world finance type school oh, cool. uh, in Mexico City. So, and it was all in Spanish, and uh, so um, you know he lived there in La Condesa in this nice little place there. And so I, I remember I was impressed when I went there. I was like, "Well, it's kind of nice here." You know, yeah, like, it's that, so cheap. Too. Not what it's I thought. Awesome. Uh, Mexico City. Was See, it's the like. opposite in New York. Mm-hmm. It is. I guess it's like semi crowded, but it's like Inside, affordable. Yeah, it's super nice. The people are friendly. Yeah. Um, so when I went there, people didn't have internet. And uh, in Mexico City at, the, at that time, it's weird. But they did, not individually, but you would have to go to those internet shops. Yeah, it's and so... Even in like La Condesa, places like that, then that was like a big thing. They had these weird. fancy internet so, shops. Here's something that's interesting. Uh, if you if you Google like web design, because uh, at the time I was running my agency, uh, so if you Google like web design, Mexico City, like no results come up. There's like not one agency. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to be this guy. But then I didn't speak Spanish, so it was a little difficult. Well, i got to tell you, so I've been, uh, Mexico's been on my mind a lot. Um, I started working with, uh, and he's, he's, the, um, he's my stage manager for my virtual shows, and he does them out of Mexico City. So even though we're... Yeah, it's same time zone. Same time zone, which is great. And he runs everything from his, you know, his home uh, in Mexico City. And it's like, wait a minute, I do a show out of Dallas, and i got a guy in Mexico City that runs this. Uh, but what's real cool about it is, um, well, 
I, I lost my thought there, but just that the guy is from in Mexico City running the show. Um, now, there was something more about that, though, I was going to tell you. We'll come back to it. Yeah, we'll come back to it. Okay, so being drawn straight lines isn't your thing. Uh, drawing people is a way to make a living, but probably not also your thing. No, but uh, it does make sense that I love to look at people, and so the drawing gives me an excuse to do that. But also, <laughs> also it kind of led into the performance, why I live why I like to see performances. Do you ever Live think shows. like, how is somebody so ugly or how is somebody so pretty? I've kind of, you know, now I've realized that um, when I was, so when I was an artist and doing those portraits and stuff, I remember in school, my uh, art teachers were always say, you know, cause you'd always get a magazine of like a model and stuff. And we would do those cause we're doing a cover illustration or something like that. But uh, she would always tell us to get a photo of like a really old person or like somebody really wrinkly and stuff. And to try that because it was harder to do a drawing of that. And I understood that just like I just explained it to you. And uh, so, but that's all that I saw it as, you know, okay, well, okay, yeah, if I want to do a real, you know, I'll do a, a, a you know, an overweight person. Because I see like, like uh, who's that uh, rapist Hollywood guy, Eric, uh, or is it Weinstein? Yeah, Harvey Weinstein. Harvey, yeah, mm-hmm. Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see that. I'm like, how is somebody that ugly? Like, how do you get that ugly? Yeah. Like, I know his personality is very ugly but i mean just his face in general is just so ugly i'm like man i don't feel like i see people that are that ugly often (laughs) well okay so now i want to add this little part so that was like me in the past a little bit looking at just kind of like um looking at unusual people as a project like something to challenge your your drawing capabilities but now when i see people and I realize they're all different. So I'm not looking, people don't really look the same. They're not the same, even if they come from the same family. Even even like you said, like when you were in China and stuff. Even though on the surface they all kind of look the same, they really aren't when we get to really the nitty gritty of it. So now when I look at somebody that's, I would tend to think that was maybe ugly or fat or something like that, I don't see them as that anymore. Because I already have this idea that everybody looks weird. You know what I mean? <laughs> People just look weird. Like, we are weird animals. We're weird things. We're weird creatures. The more I think of it, like, we're just like, we're this body, yeah, we're, we've taken this form and stuff, but we're the intelligence inside of this thing. And so I'm just like, this, I'm manipulating this body I'm in right now on this planet, but I'm more than just what you see in front of you. And I feel the same way with everybody else. They're trapped in that shell that they're that they're operating, and that's what I'm engaging with. And yes, there's more inside of them. You've gone so much deeper than I have, right? But <laughs> but if I just look at the surface of them, and I'm like, okay, well, this is that this is their ride they chose. Right? <laughs> He's in his car, right? You are in the thing that you're driving. I can't I can't diss that. That's what you brought, right? So yeah. I'm looking at that now. Now I'm just like. I'm accepting it for what it is. So I'm now I'm just looking at how unique you are. You know, hey, he chose to like, you know, he's got his nose, you know, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> look at that style he's got. Now I'm, just, now I'm self-conscious. I'm like, no, I'm but that's, that's the thing. Everybody, <laughs> you don't want to look like everybody else. Yeah. And so. Uh, well, you know, I, I mean, that's, let's talk about that. That is like, I mean, there's a huge trend of people that want to look like a Kardashian, which yeah, means like they want to look like plastic. I think there's there's still on that surface level thing, and I, I think it's okay to, to to like put you know make your ride look nice, you know. So that's okay for you to look good, however you want, whatever you want to make to yourself, you project yourself. That's okay. 
I know there's some extreme examples of that, and some of those people got taken advantage of. But. Yeah, see, I think there's like just some like inner peace of like knowing this is how I was created. Like that's how I look at it. Like, like when I see um, my friend's not dating the the woman anymore, so I can talk trash about her. I'm kidding. Uh, I was having I was on a devil date with my friend, this girl he's dating. Uh, I'm gonna sit in this clip, um, <laughs> and I couldn't stop staring at her face. Um, and okay. I was like, kept thinking like, oh, my wife's thinking I'm like, think she's hot or I'm into her. Like, I got to stop doing, you know, yeah. like I'm like, t-. and so we walk out. I'm like, babe, I just can't figure it out. Like, what is it? She's like, oh, you mean like, like that she has no wrinkles and that her face looks like plasticky. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that was it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it just becomes more and more, it's just becoming more and more and more relevant and, and out there. And I just don't. I'm just like, how do people have this much money and free time to where they like, like I have, I have gained a bunch of weight during COVID, um, like 20 pounds, heaviest I've ever been in my life. Um, and in that I'm like, all right, I got to change this every day. I wake up, I got to change this. And you know, so it's like, I'm going to workout class today. And like, hopefully I eventually find something I jive with that works because at the end of the day, it's like I'm 175 and I'm like sits one. So I'm not like I'm not actually considered like obese or anything, but before I end up there, I really want to, I want to put something into it. Cause I'm not liking, you know, I'm used to being 155 and sits foot. I'm used to being real thin. Um, but no, <laughs> so I, I guess I think about that sometimes and I put a little bit of action, like going to a workout class, but I can't imagine like looking at my nose every day, which I got a big nose, got big nostrils. When I get a cold, I can still breathe. So I, you know, I'm about it. Um, I'm a big nose guy too. So. <laughs> and so I'm like, can't imagine looking at it every single day and then be like, all right, I'm going to spend five grand and have somebody cut off parts of my nose. Like, I just don't know how people get there. And all I can think about is that there is this, since they're little kids, there's this image that Kim Kardashian's pretty that's pushed in their face, like their yeah. whole life to where they eventually get into their head that they're not pretty unless they look like her. There's something there about that, you know, I I kind of I want to feel bad about that kind of mentality that you would you know be that way that you have to be think that you have to look like somebody else or something, you know, have I have people that I consider mentors and and teachers and stuff like that, but I don't necessarily think that I need to look like them. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just want well, to like what, follow what some could of you their pull advice. from from Kylie Jenner is that her name? She's not a Kardashian, right? I don't know how their family. Yeah, works. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what it is that they see about. Is it? So maybe I'm saying there's nothing they yeah, can pull like from like a mentor. We have something we get from. Like yeah, you can't get know. anything from. Like what did the what did Kim Kardashian do? Make a set tape with a rapper? Like right? Like has she done anything? <laughs> no, I guess it's like you know when you're little, little, you just kind of like you don't know why you like somebody on the yeah. Mickey Mouse show, but you like them. You know, I I don't know. I I I can't even imagine really thinking like that right now. I don't know <laughs> why they would do that. There's, I would hope that they wouldn't though. We need more examples of people saying. Hey, you know, at the end of the day, you know, magicians would do this. They'd say at the beginning, they'd let you know if this was a live recording uh, and there was no camera tricks, they'd tell you, hey, this is there's no camera tricks here. This is a straight cam. You know, we're not going to change anything. And uh, so maybe some of these celebrities need to do the same thing. Hey, I'm doing this crazy, wacky stuff. But uh, at the same time, I don't think that you necessarily need to do what I do. You know, yeah. maybe there should be a little bit more of that in there and just like sort of like a disclaimer. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. Um. I've mentioned this in every episode since like we, so we used to have a computer here that then could go to there so we could pull something up. And so every episode I'm like, Oh, it's down. So we're, we don't, so I'm mentioning it again. I'll cut this out. 
because I want to pull up. Have you seen this? Uh, it's like one of the Kardashians, like in 2008 versus 2021. And just like they look like different people. <laughs> Man, I haven't seen the transformation, but what is it? What, uh, I mean, what is it more just body? Just I'm just going to show you. Just It's like um, from being one size to the next or something. No, it's it's like their face looks different. Like if you were if it was a police lineup, you wouldn't recognize. Oh them. my god! I, well, you know, I saw that film that had um, what's that guy's name? The he was a um, wrestler for a little bit. Uh, god, what's that guy's name? Well, I don't know his name, so I can't forget about it. Um, well, he played the wrestler in a wrestling movie, some independent film. What's that guy's name? <laughs> this is the first photo is her originally yeah oh my god i don't even know who that is <laughs> holy cow wow that's huge yep so they wanted to be look like that the app that kind of gets you all glossy <laughs> in real life yeah that's like the people that do the anime thing where they want to look like a animation and stuff where they change everything to look like a living uh. cartoon i don't know about that I mean, I you know, it'd be fun to have like a little cartoon, you know. Uh, yeah, it's just so bizarre. That's two different people. <laughs> See if you can cut to One this. of them looks like my cousin, and the that? other one looks like somebody else. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. Does this work? Um, no, his is going to be blurry. Okay, anyway. So, you know, um, so... Uh, being like somebody famous and being in front of the camera and being a character and when you're on stage and stuff is one thing. Like, for instance, you know. Like Kiss, right? Yeah, you put on your makeup and you go out there and you're that person there for that time period. But even during COVID and stuff, you, we've talked to people, celebrities now that when they're not on camera and you see the gray hairs and you see the sort of the natural um, stuff that they wear and stuff and they look different than the characters. Denzel doesn't look all like he does in the films, he looks like a like a husband or a father or something like that now, or almost like a grandfather, right? So I think it's okay. Uh, we forget that celebrities and the people that we see on screen and stuff, they, they look normal. <laughs> they don't have those makeup <laughs> but that's people the around. Is they don't. Like now they've had so much done to they their face. They want to look like that all the in time. In person, they actually look like that. Even without makeup, their that's face is crazy. So- you shouldn't do that. It's not right. <laughs> you know? I mean, I could have, like, you know, I'm not dressed up. I could have. I almost came as Confetti Eddie, right? Um, but um, at the same time, I'm like, well, you know, today I'm, you know, I, I am Confetti Eddie, but I'm not going to do my whole thing at the moment you know yeah. i need to this is kind of like thank god i was telling my i was telling my wife i was like i hope he doesn't come as his like a character <laughs> i almost did I was like, hey. and i wouldn't have said anything i'd be like awesome <laughs> <laughs> awesome i'm so excited <laughs> sometimes that's what people want that's a, that's the whole thing you know if you show up not as your character then, then people are disappointed right yeah so there's kind of like that there's that whole thing so okay uh we got distracted <laughs> which is fine we have all the time in the world <laughs> How, what leads into you doing shows? You doing uh, magic? I spent a lot of time behind the scenes, and then somehow I just had an opportunity to get on stage reluctantly uh, as an MC, and uh, I did a terrible job as the MC. I even did it off stage. I was so scared to even go on the stage <laughs> that I MC'd from like the wings. <laughs> 
And, uh, you know, I just introduced the guests and stuff. I was like, okay, yeah, I'll be the MC. I'm not going out there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was my first little tiptoe experience. And then there was more opportunity. It was like, well, we need some acts. You know, we need some more variety acts in our show. And, uh, you know, I was just a technician on the show, but I was bringing a lot. And uh, I just So were you helping other people come up with their tricks and stuff like that? I wasn't even, this wasn't even magic. Oh, okay. Just, I was helping just um, from my production background. I had a, I was helping bands do anything from like audio video, uh, you know, video mapping onto their sets, creating stage sets for them. Um, running, well, how'd you get into that? Lights, all that kind of stuff. Whew, boy, this, there's a lot there, but uh, I, I took a job working for the Cirque du Soleil when I was <laughs> um, younger and when I was doing the art stuff. Okay. And I uh, met some Cirque du Soleil performers when they came to Dallas, and they took me to their show, Cirque du Soleil. And uh, I kind of fell in love with the whole circus thing. And that's when I decided to kind of fuse my art, uh, you know, taking it off the easel and more into a performance arena, watching these uh, circus performers. And it kind of already sort of fit in with my magic and stuff, because magic is sort of circus-related as well. So all those things kind of was like a big explosion in my mind that's, that stayed with me as well. It was always just like, ah, I want my things, whatever I do to be big, like the Cirque du Soleil. And uh, so when I worked for the Cirque du Soleil, I studied everything about them. You know, even though I didn't have like a major, I was working front of house, uh, I would just, you know, learn as much as I could about all the type of operation systems that, you know, well, what is it about the Cirque du Soleil? Is it there? Is it the big top? Is it the big sound? Is it the live music? Is it the... Um, is it the acrobats, the one-of-a-kind performance? Is it the, you know, the narrative? What is it? So just I would just make notes every time I worked a show or, you know. And, and after I worked uh, about four different tours with the Cirque du Soleil. So by about at some point I realized or I thought to myself that I got the formula. I was like, I know this. I know the formula. Uh, because they were sort of like repeating their formula and uh, and working the shows and seeing the formula over and over and over and just reinforcing this concept of what makes this big production i thought that okay well i want to get into technical theater and so i started an apprenticeship in a union here uh, because um, i talked to the search of soleil guys and they said yeah you can uh, uh you can work as a technician but um, we hire through our uh, through the union you have to be a, a tradesman you know you have to be you have to know your craft and okay. uh, and i really didn't know any of the stuff yeah. <laughs> i just knew that i wanted to do this stuff right i was like man i love this stuff i'm inspired by it, but i don't know anything uh except for my own little personal little i can plug stuff in at home so anyway i became a, an apprentice and i started my uh, you know my studies to become a technician ultimately i have like currently now i work for the dallas opera i'm one of their production electricians but that's at the end of my all this experience that i finally got this uh, to work for a theater company. But at the time, my whole goal was to become a technician for the Cirque du Soleil. Um, that never did happen, uh, which I guess is fine. The company <laughs> changed. They sold and all that. Oh, okay. Yeah, there was a lot of changes with the Cirque du Soleil. And there was also a lot of changes in me as well. I decided, well, that's not really what I want to do. I thought that that's what I wanted to do. It led me towards learning technical stuff and becoming this uh, theater technician, which is opening up now um, my performing. Now that I have this whole background of all this uh, theater and stuff, I feel like I don't need to really, that's not something that I need to know. Now my main focus is just performing on stage. So I'm like, okay, well, 
I know all this stuff. I don't. I feel comfortable on stage. I know, <laughs> I know my stage directions. You know, I know the type of lighting I would need if, for the different acts. If I want this to be a tight shot, or if this needs to be everybody, you know, all lights, or if this is a big silent with nothing but you know a light show, or you know, all, everything. I, I just can kind of design it that way, just because I have all that experience now. So, how did I do in the studio setup? That's fine. It's like a studio <laughs> studio lighting. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> I was curious about that because I was like, okay, everybody's setting up home studios. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it doesn't take much to do a home studio. And you don't have to buy a whole lot of stuff either. Well, <laughs> you know, there's, there's some I went things, a little different path. <laughs> yeah, but some people think if they can't get that stuff that they can't do it. And you can use No, that's that. definitely not true. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I spent 20 grand and I love it. Uh, but you could spend probably 1500 and have one of these cameras directly on you. Oh, yeah, sure. One light on you and look awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, and a you, backdrop. And I don't have any problem with getting the things that you want or need. You know, there's no issue with that. You know, I, I bought some things that I needed. And I had friends that were like, why'd you get that? Why'd you get that? Well, I just, I, you know, I wanted to have those things. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like I got a stream deck, you know, for my zoom show okay. so i can push the buttons close by you know even though i have a stage manager running stuff so are you so are you using the atim i use uh for my zoom stuff yeah to switch between camera angles um that's that stream deck that's what i use oh, okay uh, got it i've got my stream deck on obs okay. i just use those two through zoom what uh that's the most I know is your computer that. ever bought down by obs Mine always is. Hmm, I've got a Mac laptop. I keep it clean. I try to make sure everything's nothing's running in the background, and it's just that when I'm doing that. Yep. And I reboot it and start it fresh yeah. and all that. So I haven't had any issues so far, but I don't do a whole lot either. Got it. I just, just run OBS and just the Zoom thing. Um, okay, so... So the performing stuff, The how did I get into the magic? Yeah. Um. So I tiptoed into it a little bit accidentally. Remember, I was kind of this, I was working shows, helping other people look good on stage and bring production to their shows. So I was, I was helping other people do that. But and then, then behind the scenes, you were just shuffling cards? A little bit. I, actually, I hadn't even been thinking about magic for a long time. But the fact that they opened up this door and said, hey, we need an MC. And then it would be great if somebody could, does anybody know how to do anything? And then it was like, well, I know how to do card tricks. So then all of a sudden, it was like that whole thing just opened up and I just got the bug so to speak and then it was kind of like just like a flash all of a sudden it was like wait a minute in this past life you were a magician <laughs> and I was like really I was yes you are a magician and so all of a sudden these it was like okay wait a minute I am a magician and it was sort of once I reinforced the idea that I really was a magician then the path to becoming a magician started to open up for me yeah so what does that path look like well, I feel more like I am a real magician now than I ever have been in my whole life. Um, I joined a uh, the only magic and mystery school in the world that uh, teaches magic by professional magicians, uh, big name magicians. So, you know, I'm a student at a school, like a university <laughs> for magic. What? And uh, so, and it's the only school in the world. And many big name magicians have gone in and out of that. Has David Blaine gone there? David Blaine. Not interested. Hold on. Uh, <laughs> oh, he's a New York guy. Um, you know, I'll have to ask Jeff if he's been through the doors He's the there. greatest of all time. That's he who he have. is. He may have. He may have. There's I'm a, a lot. huge David Blaine fan. I got gotcha. you. Gotcha. He's a member of the Society of American Magicians. I'm also a member of the Society of American Magicians. I just don't know if he went through that school or not. 
Um, now, you don't have to go through the school to become a magician. What the school really is, is... Um, yeah, what do they teach you? Well, the thing is, is that magicians uh, traditionally work by themselves independently. They're almost worse than artists where they don't have very many other magic friends. <laughs> and since they're secrety because they're doing their magic, they don't show anybody until, until it's time, right? And so you really rarely have... When you're growing up, you might have had a little friend that you can practice card tricks with. But as you get into the adult world, those are far and few between. Not everybody's wanting to do card tricks. So you don't really have any, you know, comrades or anything or any friends to do any of that stuff. My wife is super gobble. She falls for absolutely everything. So I like I was practicing one on her. I thought it was really Mm -hmm. good. And then it felt on every single person. So there's also the level of who you're going against. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. There's, I mean, there's some thing. easy targets out there. <laughs> yeah. And then there's some tough tough ones. You got to know your material as well and how, you know, your uh, your strengths. And uh, at the time, you know, when I started shifting into magic, I had to remember what I was good at. You know, it's like, what did I like? Card tricks, coin tricks. You know, I sort of had to kind of go back in time a little bit and go, well, where did you leave off? And uh, so luckily I had this really good, I realized uh, now that I, now that I'm, in that magic school that I did it right because I learned from the books, you know, back then it was like, there was no magic teacher to go to. So you had to learn from books. What's a famous book? Oh, there's like the um, coin uh, manipulation is a famous one. There's just like, there are like simple titles and written like the early 1900s, right? There's there's like a, there's like a small handful of like (laughs) books that everybody has. Yeah. There's like a coin book that everybody has. There's like a card book that everybody has. And then you might have a couple of specialty ones like from different magicians like Harry Lorraine, who's a famous you know David card McGee? Magician. David McGee, I'm not sure. He's a minimalist. He was uh he was here Tuesday. Oh, okay, um, yeah. This is not a podcast for I was thinking minimalist. It was somebody just, in the past or something like that. So uh, he lives in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um had does a big Vegas show, like four thousand people. I don't um, know him. I, anyway, he did this like trick. I he did this uh, like glass trick where you have the coins in a glass mm-hmm. and then you shoot it across the table, but you can't see it. Okay, cool. Do you know how that's done? No, I don't know if, I've, <laughs> if I'm familiar with it. So it's like think about like three coins in a glass, mm-hmm. and then he shoots one of the coins out. Okay, yeah. Um, and so you hear it hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the other side, but you never see it. Okay, yeah. But then like. You know, I'm like watching his hand. There's not like another coin. I can't yeah. figure the stuff out. Okay, that's good. Well, that it's designed for, <laughs> to fool you. And a good magic kind of has all the things that you would think about worked out. So we, yeah. we kind of send you on a path. <laughs> if successful, you go down the rabbit trail. We, yeah, so we go a different way. Will you, uh, will you show me some, like, explain that to me. Explain like, like. Like demonstrate that kind of that Yeah, kind where, of where somebody is like, it's like. If I'm going to work on the five, I'm going to spend all my time talking about the two and the zero and then blow your mind with the five, right? Let me think on that for a second there. I didn't bring a whole lot of like (laughs) hands-on stuff to example that, I. uh, but we could talk to it about it a little bit. I brought some Gucci cards. Oh, yeah. Let me check Um, those out. Nice. Oh. They're they're like a smaller – they're not normal size. Um, Okay. They're, All right, so let me tell you the one thing. Size. Let me tell you the one thing I'm trying to learn. Okay, what are you trying to learn? I want to be able to sit on a plane uh-huh. and shoot one card from one hand to the other. Mm-hmm. Can you do it? Um, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> that's tricky. Let's see if we. It's a move that starts with this one. Let's see if we can do it here. Which is basically shoot. You got to shoot one card out of the deck. 
So that's the thing. So, and this is something. Oh, I like, just want one card to fling to the other hand. I don't want right. anything special. Well, that's it. This it's a <laughs> it's this move basically. I'll, I'll show it to you. So you get a deck of cards. You have to peel back the top card, grab the second card, and you fling it out. It's kind of like a like a little fling move. Now, when you can successfully throw it up into the air, you can throw it into whichever hand you want. So it's not like a flicking it across. Well, I'm throwing it up. But later you can point it at wherever you want to throw it, Ding. like that. Oh, cool! So you can throw it you up just and just catch me. it. Yeah, I just hit you. With that. <laughs> but that's the move, and it's it's basically you have to peel back the top one, grab the second one, and you're going to fling that second one. All right, that's kind of a little shake of the wrist. Now you can point that <laughs> like that. You can point it in the air. You can point it to your other hand. So you can zip it wherever you want. So that's a that's like a little that's like a little flourish. And I do like flourishes, and I was I was kind of showing you these cards. Are, they're kind of new, so they're a little stiff. Got to work them in a little bit. But you can do these little waterfall shuffles. Let's see how good, or let's see what we can do with these cards. Don't those cards look dope, though? They're great. <laughs> so, yeah, nice. They fan out pretty well. Let's see here. Yeah, My wife good. got them for me for Christmas. I've been pretty let's obsessed see. with them. Let's see if we can do a if we can do a palm, back palm with these. Let's see. Eh, not too bad. Okay. Yeah, they're a little different. Okay. Here's, right. here's some stuff. Pull out one of your... Do it with your deck. Well, I mean... Uh, there we go. No hand slides there. <laughs> Good magic you should be able to do with any deck of cards. So you should always just... If somebody throws you a deck of cards, then that's your <laughs> deck of cards. Let me show you what I can do. This is the only thing I got in my uh, repertoire. All right, let's see it. Uh, so I've worked really hard at the one hand cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't do it yet. I oh, can okay. Just, I can I show can you just that. Do that. Yeah, that's where I'm at. That's, that's where I'm at. Um, I'm just. I can do a bridge. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you saw me doing that. You did the overhanded style, right? That that's kind of like the the way non magicians do it. But this is the way <laughs> magicians do it. Well, we try to cut the cards in the deck. Will you in, move that camera up close to right here. So there's 52 cards, and so what the goal is is you're trying to cut the deck as as close to in half as possible. All right, and this is this is what magicians do right here. So every time we cut a deck of cards, we're trying to cut it in half. I think it's something like 26 cards each. All right, so we're always trying to get exactly half the cards. All right, so when we when we're breaking these, we're looking. And I try to break these as close to as half as possible. You see, I'm kind of, part of me squaring them up is looking to see if, if I've got an equal amount of cards. Okay. All right. So once I get my two halves, I bring the cards together and I just fan them up just like that. So that one card is over <laughs> the other. And then we do the bridge just like what you did. All right. So you did the over the top, right? Where you yeah. did, you were kind of doing this thing where you, where you work the cards I'm going to show you. This is working the cards. It's like bending the cards, and you're having to do this really extreme move. And you don't get cards every other, you know, it's kind of, they're kind of like chunky, right? Uh, if I do it right, I do every other. Okay. Now, uh, so this the other way, let's just say this, this way here, it's called the pyramid shuffle. You bridge them, you bump them up, and they just very finessely, <laughs> you don't do a whole lot of work. There's not a whole lot of work like, there. Can you do that fast? Yeah, eventually you get faster and faster. And I'm just kind of doing it for demonstration, but 
But if you do it too fast, then nobody even knows the fun thing that you're doing. Yeah, so, okay. So part of that is you want to show off what you're doing. All right, let me try this. It's like you're doing some fancy stuff. So I, uh, you don't need to change the camera. I don't care. So you're. So you want to, you want to bump up, you want to hold it from the ends, like everything from the ends. Yep. Go all the way to the ends and push them together. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you just sort of start letting them glide into each other. <laughs> Those, the cards will do it themselves. And let me show you one more time. All right. So now that you got the half, this is like a, a good old-fashioned radio show. So you get 26 cards and 26 cards, I think, whatever that is. Half of 52 on each side. And sometimes one of the reasons we bump them up like that is so you can see. And if you wanted to practice and you wanted to really get them even, you could do that. All right, so you get them all like that first. That's the same thing. So now when you put them up together, you're creating that V-shape. You see that V-shape I've made? Uh-huh. So you get them, make the V-shape, and you just sort of push them in and lift a little bit, and they should snap into place. And then the trick is to hold it together while you do the breathing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't let them slip out. Try it again. You'll get it. <laughs> Now this isn't this isn't like a this is a flourish and it's just a shuffle so it's not like I'm giving away some kind of crazy magic <laughs> yeah. secret or something like that so yeah you know you get- I did take an oath so I can't really tell you any secrets <laughs> or something and and okay. part of that thing about what I told you about going to that mystery school and um, and learning from uh, that magician Jeff McBride is that um, he actually made he makes his students real magicians by us taking this oath we take this this sort of the secret society oath of becoming a magician. So it's sort of like we do go through that All right, so fraternal process. Yep. And keep it tight on the ends. You want it loose in the middle, but but firm on the ends that you're holding. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right. I'll That's practice it. it. You got, I saw the workings of it. Now it's just a matter of just keeping it all together. All right. What do you do that blows people's minds the most? What, what's the um, thing that people... I, I got you. Uh, hmm. That's a good question. I do all kinds of stuff. You know, I'm... I think one of the things is that sometimes I'm just kind of unexpected, like I'll do unexpected things, and that is sort of like uh, situational, but um, I always come off, like, I think a lot of times when I'm first introduced into the room, like, there's a big misunderstanding. Like, people will look at me, and they're like, man, who's this guy? You know, what's this guy going to do? There's kind of, it seems like there's a little bit of a letdown at first. You know what I mean? They're kind of like, eh, this guy looks a little wacky, but what's, what's this guy? You know, <laughs> there's a little bit kind of like, yeah, okay. And, you know, but then I always end up doing something that really like fries them. And then the second time they're like, man, I got to keep my eye on this guy. You know, so there's, I think one of the biggest things that I do that I accomplish is sort of like, in in all of magic is that I'm presenting myself in one way and then I'm fooling them completely by giving them the magic at the end. So there's sort of like, I feel like they're, uh, the misdirection is the not understanding that I can really pull off some cool stuff. They're sort of, I, I don't know how to describe that, but they almost think, think like, yeah, this guy's not going to do anything. <laughs> and, then, <you> know, <laughs> and then I end up doing some cool stuff for him, you know? <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, you know, um, what is that? I know you're kind of like, well, what, what, do, you, what yeah. do you mean? Give me an example of what that is. What are you talking about over here? But, you know, those things get so developed. when I do the, if you're doing a one-handed cut, mm-hmm. it's to push out and then pull up? No. 
Let me, see, <laughs> let me give you some tips on that. Here's the one-handed cut. And right. You can do it in either hand. So you have to hold the cards on the ends like this, right? Okay. So you got to put your fingers all the way Here, across Here, do you have a deck there. of cards so I can follow you as you do it? I don't, actually. <laughs> and uh, you do that, and you drop the, the side with your thumb. Okay. All right. So, and once again, you're always trying to find the half. So you try to get half. That's, that's what I think is half. And then you push with your finger and close it. Push with your index. So try to find half. Like, that's not half. Mm, maybe half. That was a little more. Now that I've got it, I push it and close it like a little book. So drop, push, close. And you do that. You do that with any hand, either other hand, the same thing. Oops. <laughs> there goes the magic trick. <laughs> All right, end of episode. Episode. That's part of magic. Um, You're always going to drop your cards. What, uh, what audience reacts better? race of audience reacts better to to magic tricks um hmm well kids go bananas over tricks you know uh it everybody loves magic one thing i found is that everybody loves magic but the thing is is they're broken up into two different types of groups there's the the people that want to figure it out and the people that just want to enjoy it for what it is now as far as like ages and, and ethnicities and all that kind of stuff it really doesn't matter it's those it really is those two groups because you get your hecklers, they're all part of the, uh, they're trying to figure it out crew. But the people that just watch and enjoy themselves, the good audience, they're just enjoying the magic. For Have the you ever had a heckler call it out and be right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for, <laughs> for sure. I've had hecklers bust me for using the same method twice, you know. I mean, they will call you out. Kids do that all the time. No. Kids will do it and adults. No. People do that. Um, and it's, it, you learn real quick as a magician don't get yourself in that kind of situation, you know, so don't repeat your tricks, not even a method. You can't even do the same style again later in the show because they'll recognize it. People are real smart. What's the key to, uh, you know, like the pick out a card? Oh, uh, like a riffle force or something like yeah. that? Yeah. What's the key to that? Um, well, you said the key and that is the key, really. You have to know where you're. You know, it's all control, so the key is to be in control. Okay, so the key is to know every single, like, like if somebody's doing this, you're saying, pick a random car, and I'll tell you what you picked. Yeah. yeah and then yeah. I'm like, it was the queen of spades. <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. so um, without giving too much, you know, um, you're trying to get the audience to choose something that you want them to, whatever it is. And uh, in that in in that effect, like what you're talking about, it's a, like a prolonged glimpse. So the the idea is that if you if you move really quickly, people won't notice. But if you stop just for a second, they'll see what you want them to see. And so that's the entire concept. So when you're riffling through a deck of cards, they don't really see anything until you let them take a peek. And the peek you give them is what you want them to see. And that's the key. I was uh, waiting at a restaurant and I was shuffling some cards because I was bored and I was trying to get good at shuffling. And uh, this girl was like, can you do any tricks? And I was like, yeah, here's one. And then I messed, like the lady called me out halfway through doing it. Like she saw where I, I was trying to like 
whatever you know how like most trits like easy card trits is just two cards sat together yeah and so they think that you know they you might have a double or something yeah and so it's like she's like oh you gave me two cards not one and i was like okay cool well this is i only know Time one trick this away. Away. that was my <laughs> trick yeah you gotta be real careful yeah you know people will shoot so, you down quick yeah <laughs> they'll bust your bubble so i say like i i look at this i'm like all right cool this is this isn't for me. Uh, maybe I'll learn to shuffle real good one day, and that'll be the end of it. But I don't, you know, like, uh, you, you know, I mean, just like anything, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And so, you gotta screw so up. tell me, like, what is it about where it's like, like, I'm sure pay isn't all that crazy. Not, um, not right now. There's, no, there's like zero pay right now. Uh, and so what's the, how do magicians, what's rates on magicians? Magicians can do really well, honestly. Um, no, but like what, what drives them to, because most of them have been doing it for like 20 years mm-hmm. and probably just grinding at like small, like what grind, like what drives them? Is it really just a joy of seeing people's reaction? Is it a joy of mastering how to manipulate something? There is a lot of reasons why people go to magic. I just did a story. I'm, you know, um, I'm becoming a writer as well. And I just wrote a story on Dr. Jeffrey Grimes, who is a professor, English professor at Mountain View College. <clears throat> He's also a magician. And uh, he has worked magic into his curriculum, into teaching in his classes. Now, he doesn't do magic and teach. Well, he does, but he makes sure that it's something like in be- before the class or after the class, and that it, if it, he does magic for the students, that it relates to the, you know, whatever the focus of the studies are. Um, but um, uh, the thing about magic is that with him, for instance, he's already making a, a living as a as a you know as a professor. So for him to go out there and try to make money as as a magician, that's not his pursuit. So he's really just enjoying sharing his magic as a gift and connecting and with this with people. Don't you think that makes him a better teacher because it's more engaging? I think that when you're not stressed out about making money, yeah. that everything's better <laughs> in general, in general. And um, so if you're hustling to make money as a magician, then the type of magic you're going to do and and who you're going to go out the types of work that you're going to try to hustle is going to be different uh, than if you're just sort of like you already have a career and you're doing magic on the side and you're just enjoying, you know, becoming a better magician. But also you, the levels stay there. If you're comfortable with just doing magic uh, for your school and the club and stuff, then you're not going to try to become a Vegas a big name or you're not going to try to compete and stuff like that. So, so I, uh, do. I hate zoom <clears throat> like, like I would ever watch a concert on Zoom, and you're selling a a show on Zoom, right? Yes. How's that going? Do you find it difficult to like like What are the positives and negatives about it? The it started off um, with a lot of negatives um, because <laughs> you had to learn how how to do the Zoom stuff. And honestly, on my stage show, the stuff that I do in you know in person didn't really translate very well to the online. You know because you had to physically. You know, how do you get somebody to pick a card when they're, you know, in their room at home, you know, virtually? So it was a lot of like, and things aren't that interesting. Things that are interesting in real life don't translate well in, in the virtual. You know what I mean? It's just, it was just different. So my first few shows were just awful. <laughs> and I just like, like all my material just like sucked. And the sad thing is, is that it was the stuff that I was doing in person. And I was like, wow, I'm terrible. And no, it wasn't terrible. It was just the medium and those tricks didn't work. And you had to learn it. And so I had to, I was like, well, what kind of magic works virtual? 
And so, what, yeah, those what works? Of, What's the... Well, what, I, what works is that people want to... Um, first off, they don't want to just see a performance online uh, because they can just watch YouTube or Netflix or something like that. So they don't want you to just go up there and just be performing, you know, like they're not there. And so the trickiest part about Zoom is to engage the audience to make them feel like they're really in the performance space with you. And, uh, and versus, okay, so I was streaming on Facebook at first, and that was, that was very impersonal. But that was my first tiptoe into it, and I was getting a lot of views. And people were commenting in the comment section. It was very cold and impersonal. I couldn't see them. They, they could see me, um, but I couldn't see them. Yeah, so, like watch a video on YouTube. But yeah, so I'm kind of like talking, and I'm reading comments. And I, <laughs> I, I, I see that, you know, so-and-so's watching. Thanks for watching. But at the same time, I felt like I'm just in the studio here, and they're not with me. So I moved it to Zoom so I could see them, so I could see everybody. And it took a little while to encourage people to open up their cameras because people using Zoom uh, were sort of like used to doing that for like their schools or something like that or like a meeting. So there's a really like just kind of like people don't like that. They're like, I do this stuff at my job. I don't really want to go see a Zoom show and watch magic. That just sounds terrible. So a lot of people (laughs) didn't want to do it because Zoom was sort of associated with their corporate world and just like – Something that was just like office So it took a little while to get people to accept that, okay, you're not just going to watch us on Zoom and, and we're not doing, we're not trying to sell you anything. We're not doing a telething and we're not just trying to, you know, doing an educational speech or anything. We're actually trying to entertain you. And um, a few months of that and I realized, okay, we're not, we're still not doing it right. This is what, what's going on here. So lots of feedback from the audience and they really wanted to go someplace new. They didn't just want to go to, hey, you're here in my studio, and now we're broadcasting live, <laughs> and uh, I can see you so we can connect. And they're like, yeah, okay, well, that was great. <laughs> but if we're virtual and we're connecting, why are we stuck in your house? Why are we stuck in your studio? <laughs> yeah. So then I had, to, I had to start creating virtual shows that took even me and us into another world. And that's where I started working with the, uh, the Mandalorian show. I, started, I created this virtual Mandolini. It was a combination of the uh, storyline of the Mandalorian. I knew everybody loved the Mandalorian. I don't know. What that I did is. too. I was watching it. It's just a basically a, a, a story that's already out there that everybody that a lot of people knew. Okay. And I was like, let's let's just let's find that. What is that story? So I found a story. And I was like, let's it, let's add magic to that. So okay. So it's kind of like if everybody's already seen this big movie and they all know the plot to the movie. And so they're like, all right, guys, we all know the story already. And uh, so there's so I didn't have to create this brand new story and, and have have you to kind of, and have people get into it. They're already into it. But the only the challenge was this, just to add magic. <laughs> and uh, so that's what I did. I just took um, that storyline and started dropping in magic. You know, how would, um, you know, instead of doing it with CGI um, like they would in the on the movie or the TV show. Let's just do it with practical magic. And so my first episode was, you know, it was a good example, but it wasn't the best yet. But it was doing just that. Like all of a sudden, I've got all these Star Wars people coming to the show and they know the storyline. So they're like, yeah, yeah, we love Baby Yoda. and We love like, uh, we love Luke Skywalker. Yeah, yeah. And lightsabers, lightsabers. He's doing it. He's doing it. But then all of a sudden I'm doing magic with those things that they okay. like. So they're like, oh, wow, wow, he's great, you know. And, and so it made more sense to do something that they were familiar with and introduce magic to them versus doing something completely different that they're, 
that they weren't aware of and then try to sneak in the magic. So. Yeah, I mean, I love how hard you work at all these, like... Oh, I know. This was like, tough, man. You, like, don't give up. Like, you're... Oh, I never gave up. You don't that. seem like a... Um, no, it, this was a hard nut to crack, man. But we, I, I did. Like, now yeah. I'm feeling like <laughs> I figured it out. But, man, it took me forever to do Yeah, and it's like it, it doesn't... Hard. Like, you don't come across, like, a Gary V type that's like, oh, <laughs> um, was, I kept It just seems like you just kind of just show up and there was work at, like there's a problem just kind of chip away at it that's right that's how you do it i, I kind of learned that early on in all my everything that i do a painting doesn't get done you know what the painting's going to look like at the end but you gotta you gotta touch the canvas and you have to touch every square inch of the canvas that's how you get it done and and that's the that's these every project is like that i can go in there and just splash in the middle but i gotta hit the corners too what are the what are the paintings that you do now Mostly magic type paintings. Oh, okay. Yeah, a lot of the paintings I do are going to be used as some sort of some promotional part or a poster or something, some kind of design for the magic. What do you think of uh, Bob Ross? It's great, man. <laughs> if I could be as popular as him, man, are you, the guy can make happy trees all day and, and win. That guy's He's great. my favorite. I want <laughs> one great. of his paintings so badly. Man, are you kidding? If I had his popularity, man. Be, <laughs> geez, I would be an artist and not a magician. <laughs> That guy's great. Um, crazy, he died of cancer at like 50-something. Oh, man. I want to think that he's still alive. I don't know. I can't <laughs> imagine he's gone. He had a different career. When he's kind of like, uh, before he was a uh, painter, he was like in the he was military in the Air Force, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, he was like, like an Air Force. You see then, guys uh, like that. Yeah, Air Force to an art school, traveling like art school. Bush. Traveling art school. And then uh, from a, tra- so he like, pop up and do work shows, I guess, for like a month and then move somewhere else. And then so he weird. pitched, uh, like, the public, you know, PBS or whatever. Like, he pitched, he walked in, pitched them. They agreed to it the same day he pitched them. How does that even happen? And then he would film, um, he'd film, why I know so much. I was at Whole Foods. There was a magazine on Bob Ross. This was two days ago. So this is why I know all this random stuff. It's good. You're by the way, <laughs> I'm not like completely obsessed with this guy. Here's yeah. his whole life story. I just read and a magazine. A yeah, yeah. <laughs> Check out my <laughs> version. <laughs> is there one? There it is. There it is. Yeah, it's myself. <laughs> nice. nice. Um, Blake Jamison. Shout out to him. New York. Um, okay. Uh, but anyway, he. It was like once a month he filmed all episodes in one day. He did like 13 episodes in one day or something insane like that. Like, so he'd film for like. That makes a lot more sense now because <laughs> he really cranks those things out, right? Yeah. I mean, 30 minutes per painting or something like that. And they're uh, kind of all the same, really. You and know? He, they were all given away or something. Um, they don't seem like they're that great. But if you try to do something like that, you start realizing he really knew what he was doing. You know, I mean, he gives you all the instructions. Yeah, yeah, the. When he's doing those um, mountains with the snow or whatever, snow top mountains, <laughs> yeah. just dragging that pallet knife. Yeah. And you're just like, I see the ridge. There it is. <laughs> the summit is coming. And he's just like, and he's putting the um, shade side. He's great. He yeah. made his, his hair an afro, uh, so he didn't have to cut it as much. It's not like naturally that way. Oh, really? Yeah. He got a perm. Uh, just to. Be hands off. That, yeah. that, so that's the practical side yeah. of him. That's, that was the, I don't want to mess with this. I'm yeah. not going bald, but yeah. <laughs> I'm not touching it once I do it. 
uh, super private guy. <laughs> so there's like there's like no outside interviews of him. Nobody knows really anything. He sells. I've had one of his like paintbrushes. Like somehow there's paintbrushes. Yeah, there's there's special Bob Ross paintbrushes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. got one. Of I them. thought you had one that he painted with. No, I was no, like, no. Sell it like to his, me. His, uh, <laughs> his brand or whatever. I'm putting it on the wall tomorrow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got it. I got it. Yeah, yeah the, he painted with yeah, it. This is it. <laughs> right underneath, like season seven, episode uh-huh. twelve. Just right. Yeah, this is actually. I think it's from. Oh look, it says it right there. Season. <laughs> Um, I could fabricate that. <laughs> Forge that. What do you think about paintings like the Mona Lisa? Um or or who are famous what are famous paintings that aren't in are there any famous paintings that aren't impressive? Let me ask it that way. N- no, not at all. The famous the masters that painted those, you really have to look at them in real life to really see the work like a Salvador Dali painting. Not all of us, you can imagine them being huge and large, but a lot of those paintings were small. You know, they're tight. You can stick your face in them. And when you do that, um, you see how delicate those little brush strokes, like how detailed the, guy, the artists that were making that and the layers, it's not, it's thick paint and they're really getting in there. And um, their mastery of what they're doing is just amazing. And um, today's painters or today's paintings, they don't put in that kind of work. You know what I mean? Everybody wants to just get it done. Whereas you look at some of the masters and stuff and they're just like, it's all about the process from the canvas to the, the type of medium they use for the, um, the gesso, you know, and, and every one of those steps was, it took a week for this and then they glazed this and it took a week for that. And there's like all these process levels of work that go into Ultimately, creating the Mona Lisa. Who are Lisa. the modern day painters that are doing that? And there's not may- very many that do that. Um, they're just probably just the guys coming out of straight out of school and stuff. But the working artist can't live like that, you know. So unless they're just painting that because they're, you know, that's their kind of life thing. You get into this thing, and I was in in the in that uh, realm as well, where you're just sort of cranking stuff out. And when you're cranking things out, you have uh, less time. You're using <laughs> less materials, less paint. There's less paint going on the surface, so you're not getting those big impasso type, you know, you're not getting big, thick layers of paint. Uh, they can't afford it, for one thing, if you're going to sell it for a certain price. And uh, most of the art and most of everything today, I feel is kind of devalued, and it's not, I know there's a lot of big name artists that are making big money and stuff, but for the most part, the artwork that you see in the artists that are creating, their work isn't going for very much. And uh, so, yeah, so I'm always amazed by people that do giant uh, paintings, like the side of a water tower or the whole side of a building, but it's like a portrait. Yeah. Like, have you seen that guy? Uh, he did one in Nashville in the Nations. Um, he, it's, it's like this tower he painted. It's like a portrait of a man and it's, you know, 75 feet tall. It's like, how does, when you're up that high, you can't, you know, like, how does that done? Do you know anything about that? Well, you work at a scale, yeah. So, I mean, you, you have it, you, you, know, you know, you have your original version, which is in a whatever size, a hand, you know, your table size. Let's say it's on the, something that you can handle. And you, however you're going to scale that, I would grid it, is the traditional method. You grid that out, and then you would grid it up on that wall. And then you just move the pieces into the grids 
that's kind of like the, that would be kind of like the drafting architectural way of doing it. Um, there's a freestyle way of doing that where you just hold your drawing up at the wall and then just kind of freehand the thing up there. And usually that's something that you can get to if you're just standing there like a graffiti artist. Yeah, but something that big like that, um, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> yeah, that's piece. <laughs> I mean, you're like, oh, okay. Well, that's piece by piece. Yeah, I mean, you can't just go up there and finish that whole thing. But at the same time, that he either projected that up there or gridded that out. I mean, those are those are your only two options. Okay, either so people aren't it up just there. up there in their mind, just somehow figuring it out. No, no, something like that. That's kind of like representational, figurative, like that. You don't just do that. You do can, when you're doing. I put it like this. Can you see a little bit of it at all? Yeah, realism. When you're trying to do realistic stuff, okay. you do like what I described, like the grid, or you project it. If you're doing like just freestyle stuff, then it doesn't matter. You can kind of, you know, if the arm is longer or the hands are not exactly like a real hand, that's no big deal. Something like that. You got to stick to a scale. So probably scaled it up. How does that work? I don't get it. Um, that's easy. Like you take a little square and you, you just say one inch is equal to one foot. And then so when you go to the wall, you make one foot squares and that's equal to your one inch drawing. And then you just. Or in his case, it'd be one inch would be 10 feet. Yeah. Yeah. You just decide whatever it is and then you, and you start putting it up there. And honestly, if when you look at that, there's only like you just got to know where the head is. You got to know where the shoulder is going to cut. You got to know where the hands are going to end and the rest is just kind of filling in the blanks so there's a lot of there was a lot of not knowing all, he didn't have to have everything figured out <laughs> he just needed to know where to put the major I'm things just thinking somebody hired me to do that obviously i'm not someone to do for a living but i would just be like oh <laughs> you need a uh, lift you know you need yeah lift he, up there some scaffolding that's i'm kind of i'm kind of scared of heights so i want to do very yeah. good there. and when you're that close to something yeah you have to you got to know your shading. You know, you have, you have to know a lot about what you're uh, making anyway. Yeah. You would never attempt that unless that was your <laughs> skill level. Yeah, of course. You know, that's like realism also. So that's somebody who's confident in his skills. He just worked large, but he knew how to draw people and paint people. Okay. So you're saying that guy can do little little artwork too for sure, very for well. Sure. Okay. Yeah, for sure. That's why, that's why he chose that because it's kind of like well, hardly anybody people do realism this big. So <laughs> I'm going to. Change it up. Um, yeah, I think I'm surprised more businesses don't have a cool mural on the side of their building. They should. They should. They always want the artists to do it for free and stuff. They should just work it into their budget somehow, you know, just it's make not it. that. I mean, I, we re, I reached out to, money to it. Uh, a company in Nashville to do one. I didn't have a wall identified is why we didn't hire them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was like 3500 I mean, I, I didn't think it was bad at all. Yeah, I thought it was like not bad. It was um, our logo on the side of a building. I thought it was going to be cool. Yeah. Um, Mostly, that's it. That's all you have to do is just find somebody and make sure that I'm you can sure. pay them to do it and um, do it. I went to some sandwich company here in Dallas that their whole front of the building is like painted. Good, good, good co, good sandwiches. I don't know. Good something. Well, I, painting on the building, that's old school. You know, I mean, the sign painters would yeah. do that. You know, they'd write the name or, and they'd have I just like think a it's awesome. cup of coffee or something like that or donut or something and they'd have the name of their their business um it's it's gone from that kind of because of the graffiti art it, the um the murals have gotten more colorful they've gotten more uh you know just 
the intent is more focused, whereas before it was kind of like just kind of like spray and go, you know, so you didn't have a whole lot of time to really sit there and work on a finished piece. So the types of things that people were doing on walls were just kind of like quick, fast. When somebody tags a a train, how long does that take them? Because I see some pretty elaborate graffiti. Well, if it's in the station, then they got more time. But if it's just kind of passing by, then you just got to put your fast thing on there. (laughs) I have some friends that do the trains and stuff. I never really got into that. That's kind of like a big New York thing. Like people did that (laughs) in New York and it was in the magazines. And then what's the penalty for it? Like if you get I caught, no. If they, if they, I guess if they catch you, I'm not sure what they do anymore. They <laughs> run you off now. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking in the old days, like they probably would arrest them, but I don't think they do anything. Really? Now. I don't think so. Unless oh, you're, man. unless you're trespassing you know or something. About that, Pierre? Yeah, um, I don't know what they do to them. They never get caught. Those guys are always like, they uh, go when nobody's there. I guess I'm not sure. I feel like I'd be the first person to get caught. Oh yeah, yeah. You can't go there in the daytime. <laughs> Nobody goes out there in the daytime. Well, I want to go during day, but I just feel like I would roll up and they'd be like, "Hey, there's a car." parts by the strain. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I wouldn't. Those guys are sneaky. You know, they kind of recon that stuff. You know, they go by there and check it out. And they're like, okay, nobody's around. There's, there's then, never anybody do here they, on do Sundays. Do they light it up? You got to bring stuff if you need light. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, or you can work in the I don't know, I just it's see different. something. It's just weird to me that all graffiti looks the same. Mm-hmm. For the most part. I think yeah. that's interesting. It's all the same style of like sharp edges. Art, yes. Yeah. And like, you know, everything's mm-hmm. outlined. Every word has an outline to the each yeah. letter. Every, each letter is outlined. Like, it kind of so. has to for the design so that it stands out. Uh, you have to do that. You would never, like, for instance, that picture that you showed me of that, uh, the portrait of that guy on the building, he's not outlined or anything yeah. like that. <laughs> but you have to do that with those with that style of graffiti because it's, uh, it's all about jumping out. The whole thing's sort of like. And is it supposed to say anything or is it typically just like their name? It seems like they all have like a tag name they go by and they just put it on there. Pretty much. You know, you that whole school of thought is that you want people to recognize who you are. You know, you're sort of like laying down your turf. You're, you're, you're telling people this is, you're coming into my area. And then if you're spraying something that's going somewhere, you're like, I'm going to your area. I should get so, one of those guys on and do the whole, uh, where it changes their voice. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. And it blurs out their face. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? When I do that. Yeah. yeah like yeah, the narcos. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's kind of like a little bit of the mentality of what's going on there. You know what I mean? So, so when you see something like that. I've been that, tagging trains in Dallas since. <laughs> mm-hmm. now, I don't do any of that stuff. So I'm really kind of speaking for those guys. You really should ask those guys 100%. But. Yeah, where do I find one? <laughs> hey, do you want to come Do you want to come on my YouTube show? <laughs> yeah. Ozone, get the king of graffiti. Ozone, he's the he's the Dallas king of spray paint. So he'll tell you all about it. He's a real person? He's a real person, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, he's I'll the king of uh, graffiti here in Dallas. He'd be one of your guys to talk to. Uh, he led the, uh, you know, the street graffiti here. Oh, like there's like an organization, or what? Do you, what does leading the street graffiti mean? There's the guys that pioneered that stuff. Oh, okay. And there's the guys that came along, and the guys that pioneered it are the the guys. They, they figured that stuff out. They're where, the ones that the other people emulate. Where did these guys typically live? In those uh, buildings, abandoned <laughs> buildings down there. On the east and south side of Dallas. How do they make a living? Usually working something else. Oh, okay. So the dude checking me out at Kroger could be a expert tagger, you're saying? Probably. Probably. And they're usually really nice, too, man. They're just artists, you know? People think they're, like, criminals or bad guys or something like that. They're not doing anything bad. I mean, if the worst thing the guy's doing is, is creating some kind of artwork for free on your building, <laughs> is that really that bad? Is that guy really hurting something? Yeah, I mean, it's all about... Are you 
he's not doing anything. As long as he's giving you some destroying somebody's property. You know, as long as there isn't a, a painting there and you painted your tag over that painting or, you know, like... That's just that's rivalry stuff, but that that should that's not property damage. You're not hurting anybody, you know. They don't break people's windows and stuff like that. They they're going. They just look for places that that they want to put their name up so people can see them. You know, like that bridge or something. It's like every time somebody goes by, I want I want them to see my name. Yeah. See, I like I'm you know I'm not a big fan of our government, so I'm okay with anything government being tagged. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just private Certain property thing. that I'm like, you know, I got, I got a lot of respect for how hard I've worked for. Well, has anybody come over here and no. spray painted the garage? <laughs> They're not going to come over no. here. I've had <laughs> friends. I've had friends' businesses spray painted though, just like yeah. You know, okay, well, businesses, yes. That's yes. what I'm saying. I'm now, like, there's some weird thing, and um, depending on what crew, and I don't really know all about this stuff, but they will determine there's some kind of cred, street cred type type stuff, and if you don't fall into it, then you're going to be subject to getting tagged. And if for some reason you're deemed okay in the street cred stuff, they'll leave you alone. So if for some reason your building or your business or your thing that you're doing is like, it's not being welcomed by the whoever, the community, then your chances are you're going to get hit a lot. And that could, that could be a variety of factors of why that is. So it's, there's not one answer to that. But for some reason, uh, you know, if it's vacant, that's 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 going to get hit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's like the first sign. So if there's nobody there, then they're going to hit that place. Now, the, now, as soon as somebody starts establishing that they're there and they're, it's no longer vacant, then that's the signal for them not to hit that building anymore. Where are they uh, getting their spray paint? Are they ordering that online? They go to Walmart? How does that work? I feel like because if, if they already do want to get stuff them. now, skate yeah. shops, they sell that stuff. They and have then, all good um, colors now. They have like special tips that go on. Right? Yeah, they they have all that stuff now. They didn't have that. I mean, there's a whole because it's accepted now and it is a legitimate form of art. What if I just tag my own home? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah. Your neighbors would love it. They'd, yeah. they'd probably, I guess, they'd probably try to get you arrested. There he is. That's the guy that tagged his house. Get him. Uh, because I look like I'm 12 at times. Sometimes people will come to my door like trying to sell me something. They're like, hello, is your uh, your parents here? Dad here? No, sir. That's <laughs> like, what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, he's not. Um, I don't make these decisions. Yeah, so can't help you. I'm not really interested in solar. Um, so I don't know if you want to put that on your list. but <laughs> I just want to come inside your house and see if, you're, if we can give you free solar. How about no? <laughs> Uh, I want trees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is free trees. How many free trees come with this deal? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause the city was trying to give everybody trees and then you had these, uh, the electric company was trying to get everybody on solar. I was like, what? I just got the free tree system and you want to cut my trees. You guys get on the same page. Typical artist, mad, 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 mad at capitalism. Yeah. Stupid I hate city. capitalism. No, I, the capital, there's some good stuff there. I'm not against capitalism or anything. But the typical artist, the typical yeah. artist. Uh, you know, there is the struggles of being an artist. I, like I said, I finally, so it took me a little while because I bridged art and magic. And then I'm, I'm still kind of saying that I am an artist even though I'm not working as an artist, I, still, I make all, a lot of stuff still all the time. My own merch and all, all my stuff and the designs. Is this and all one that. of your uh, shirts? Uh, no, it's not. Actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't have any of my own stuff. <laughs> I was like, oh, you make your own merch? That means you made that shirt you're wearing? <laughs> no. See, artists are really good at promoting things, I've noticed. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But none of this stuff is mine. 
Um, no, I'm waiting on my stuff to come in. I just put some. I reordered a bunch of stuff. So, yeah. Where wait. where can I see it? Where can somebody buy it? At the gigs. Oh, there's not a website. <laughs> yeah, I do have like a website. Yeah, what is it? Merchandise or something like that. It's oh, okay. something goofy. I'm, once I get all my stuff, I'm <laughs> I love you're like, I don't know my domain where people can buy it. It's <laughs> it needs some love, man. I need to, I need to rework on that. I usually sell that stuff at the the what I have found that people will buy stuff from me when they see my performance, and that's that's usually where I make the most sales. So for me, it's more important just when I do the shows to have my merch area up, and that's that's when they're really going to buy the stuff that they do you uh, make a deck of cards yet you know i stray away from the common things i like to have the unique items that you don't typically see so instead of a deck of cards i'm offering magic wands like i make magic wands that you can buy because uh that's just something different you can buy a deck of cards anywhere and it, for it to just have my name on it doesn't make it that's it's know, not special could design something cool i am i do have some new um magic effects and they do have cards in them that i designed but it's not like a plain deck like like what you have there but i i do want to have one soon i, I have to because that's what people want i just i like I to do the other stuff what first. they want i know i like to give them the things they don't want and like no this is cooler <laughs> you should have this everybody has a deck of cards i got my own coin or whatever you know uh it's usually i like that it is true because do you have I, a coin on you I do actually. Let me see. I've got some coins on here. I wanted to do something fun for you, but we'll save that for for a second <laughs> when we get into some presentation stuff. I brought a magic wand because I was talking about making these wands and stuff. So that's really what you were asking about. Well, you wanted me to share something, so I thought I'd yeah, a magic wand. Should I wait a little bit? I mean. What else do you want to talk about? What else do you want to talk about? How did you end up in Dallas? Oh, like, you don't man. seem like a Dallas type of guy. My whole my family moved You seem like Dallas. a San Francisco, New York City. I you do seem that here. your height is why I think you're from San Francisco or New York. There aren't a lot of, you know, you're, you're what are you, 5'8"? 5'4", 5'5"? Yeah, okay. I'm short. I'm short. So you're 5'5". Yeah, that's a, that's a New York thing, you know? I would be, there's places where I fit more in yeah. than here in Dallas, for sure. <laughs> um, I don't know why I'm still in Dallas, honestly. Um <laughs> My home, none of my family lives here, so I'm just like creature of habit, I guess. I should just move. I bought a house here, so I mean, I'm kind of like, <laughs> I could sell it, you know. So there's no reason, like, yeah, it's, I mean, a, it's, it's not a, like it's appreciating. It's not like I, you know, like I'm stuck there or anything like that. But I don't know. I, right now, I'm leaning more towards like Las Vegas or something like that. Okay, but also right now, I'm leaning more towards um, because of the virtual stuff um, and the low overhead because I'm doing everything out of the house. I'm kind of like, well, instead of having a venue, because I had a commercial lease on my uh, magic parlor, and uh, so I had to spend a certain amount a year just to keep that building, and now that I don't have that expense, it's kind of like, wow, my overhead just went, I just cut my overhead in half, um, so I've got extra money for other things, and uh, and I'm thinking, well, maybe I could just, you know, I don't have to have the venue. Nine millimeter? I could just hang in there. Yeah, these are, uh, this is, yeah, I think so, actually. These are, uh, no, wait a minute. No, it's not. They're, uh, uh, I forgot what they were. It doesn't look like a 45. Oh, a 380? Uh, 38 special. Yeah, 38 right. special. Yeah. 38 special there. Yeah, check it out. So I get these bullet tips and uh, brass tips, bullet shells, casings, and I put them on like dowels, different dowels, and create these little magic wands. That is a, and I'm trying to bring back the magic wand. Magicians use them, but why do we use them? You know, they're good for a lot of things. You know, misdirection, you're like, look over here, you asked about that kind of stuff. And that's what the magic wand is good for. 
But also, it looks like a magic wand, doesn't it? And you even felt it. But it's not, you see. It's a coin. I know. No, it really is a magic wand. No, it's a coin. I know. Yeah, talking in the mic. It's a magic (laughs) wand. A little sleight of hand there for you. Sorry, I went off mic there for just a second. But (laughs) it's a visual thing of just transferring a coin, turning a wand into a coin and back and forth. And anyway, that's a good way for me to share. How often do you have to practice that? How often do you have to practice that to get it down? A lot. A lot. There's the coin. Yeah, you have to Uh, do that in the mirror and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) The the transfers are quick. And it's sleight of hand. That's real sleight of hand there. Yeah. And, uh, but at the end of it, you get to share some really cool stuff. Like now you, you get to see the coin through here. Are you, are you able to knock that one out? Uh, I've got another thing I can share with you. That's kind of coin related. Did you notice that, uh, on, this is a silver piece here and you can do a lot of cool stuff with it. For instance, uh, like a knuckle roll. Are you familiar with that? Mm-hmm, I've seen that. You just take a coin and roll it across your knuckles. There's a, another really cool thing about coins. They have these, uh, do you see those ridges there? Now see right now. What you're talking about, mm-hmm. this is what you're doing to create misdirection, like you're talking through something. Right. A little bit. <laughs> I am setting you up. <laughs> but uh, do you see those? But I yes. am, I really do want you to see stuff, okay. stuff there. But you see those ridges there? Uh, this is kind of old school here, and I didn't know about this until recently. Now, this coin is silver, and it's been kind of worn down, but would you feel those ridges there for a second? Yep. Hold on to that for just a second. Let me get. I have another coin here. I want you to look at real quick. Uh, second, and this is a half dollar, and it also has those ridges, right? Kind of. But yep. the reason I brought this one is because uh, unlike the silver one, it's kind of worn out. But if you take the like just a regular old half dollar, and I've got two, and once again, it's got those little ridges. And they actually can line up like the gears of a, like a wheel. And if you do it really carefully, I'm going to show you real quick. If you take the coins, I have to kind of come off the, away from this mic. Just move it. Okay, so <laughs> this is really tricky. So you take the coin. Let me just balance it real quick just to get comfortable with it. You take the coin and you line up those ridges. As best you can. Just a second. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> Neat. <laughs> That's a lot of balancing there, let me tell you. And you know, it's early in the morning. I'm you have a girlfriend? Not at the moment. I'm surprised I pulled that off because I'm a little shaky right now, but. That's just balancing stuff. So that's not anything. That's just balancing. That's just balancing. <laughs> but you know what? Magic is like that. Um, you have to be skillful in what you do to execute magic. And uh, so sleight of hand is important. Even balancing. You just dropped something. Did I? Oh, sorry. Oh, I keep the coins in there. 
<clears throat> I just wanted you to know that I didn't, you know, I don't want you to think I'm stealing anything. You're drug baggy. I'm not nah, going to steal it. <laughs> what about that? I'd share it with you if I, if I had it. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, cool stuff. So magic, um, the thing about magic and being a magician, just like being an artist, is that a lot of people think there's an easy way to be an artist or there's an easy way to be a magician. And you kind of hit the nail on the head where you seem to be, you asked, you said that I seem to be a guy that likes to work or, or work through stuff. That is, that is exactly right. And I believe that you have to kind of like, you can't just learn the secret to become a magician. You have to put the time in and you have to learn those slights and you have to prove that mastery of like, Something simple like balancing a coin on another coin. That's like, you know, that's that's not easy. You know, making a, a little wand turn I want into, you to know that's what I'm going to spend the rest of this year turn doing. Turn into a coin. You got to get the kind of have the ridges. <laughs> this is kind of worn out. It's got to have those ridges. They lock in there. You'll be surprised. I, I didn't know that until I started playing with that. But if you can get those ridges in there and hold it, then you're good. I'm just going to be walking. You're going to see me on Instagram just walking with a coin. Balance. Trying to balance it. And then if you can balance it, then you can spin it. So good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how much does it suck to spend all that time and show it to somebody? And then I'm like, oh. I can do that? Or that's not that cool. Oh, that happens all the time. Are you kidding? I'll, I'll show up with something I think is going to be mind-blowing. And they're like, eh, I saw that. I know how he does that. They really don't, but. <laughs> we're used to it, man. Magicians, we're used to it. People are always gonna are gonna bust your bubble. It's part of it. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, man. It's it's a it's a weird field, you know. It's not people don't wake up in their twenties most of the time. Be like, I'm gonna go to college, maybe become a doctor, maybe become a magician. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I honestly think that the the magic now, as far as like my career stuff. This is really my master time. Like this is where all my experience and everything that I've learned my entire life is now coming to work in this form. And in this form, I can be, I am still an artist. Yeah. And I can still inspire people and I can still be a mentor. I can still bring people into uh, learning what I'm doing into our, this craft. And, um, there's still uh, messages that I can give as a performer, as someone who has some insight into how the world should be. So it's all that stuff I can communicate with a simple magic trick. You know, I can inspire. I can uh, you so know. go deeper into that. When you say thoughts on how the world should be during the pandemic, uh, for instance, it was important to not just create magic that was just fun and and distracting. But to have insight, you know, to have a message. So um, how do you um, how do you connect? How do you touch people when they're hurting, you know, when they're going through so much? And there, there's the distraction part, and that's easy to just kind of entertain them, to kind of take their mind away. But then there's like, how do you communicate a message with magic? And believe it or not, magic is just totally set up for that because we're creating these little mini miracles already. You know, there's a you tear something up. And then it's restored. And that's, that's like what's happening now. You know, we've, our world has turned upside down. But as a magician, we can show how that is a transformation into this new thing. And so, you know, when you put your head and your mind into those kinds of ideas, um, your medium of choice is just, you know, I could paint that or I could write a poet, you know, uh, some poetry about that. But I choose magic as my way to example 
you know, my thoughts and my feelings on how we should, you know, how this world should work. It's so funny to me that you're creative in every aspect. Or I wouldn't say funny, it's fascinating. I was going to say I'm not funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I guess it's probably the last thing of of creativity is comedy, right? Like, I've, You know, if I could get better, that is the number one form of entertainment, is one of the top two forms of entertainment. Well, music, number one, because it really, <laughs> music connects in a way that, you know, I would hope that magic could, and it can as well. And we combine those two, but music is just so accepted. Whereas magic, we're still sort of trying to sell you on magic. Yeah, we're still trying to convince you that magic is an art form. Whereas we already know that dance and music is already an art form. So they're 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 already op- people are open to you know hearing the message when it's coming through them in that medium. But when it's magic, they expect you. To, there's like a Scheisler type of thing. Yeah. Like you're going to get hustled or something. It's, and so it's, there's some reservation there when people are like, yeah, because music, you're just like laying back listening or yeah. watching a movie, just watching. With magic, something's up. Something's yeah. Up. Something's up, and therefore you feel unrest. Yes. And, and we know that. <laughs> and that's the whole thing. It's kind of like they're on, he's, he's going to trick me or he's going to, I'm going to lose so some money or something. Much things as possible that don't trick them, so they eventually calm down, and then you trick yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, right. At a magic show that has, you know, that you know has a beginning and an end and takes an audience member through a journey, then, yeah, you're going to sort of, like, break all that stuff. You're going to give them the razzle-dazzle they expected in the beginning, right? Because there's expectations when you go to a magic show. You give them that, and then you introduce yourself and what you're really there to do, and then you start showing them what that is. And if you, you know, whatever that is. Yeah, magic has this weird thing where people remember what you did a hundred years later. If, it, yeah, yes, yes. It can be like straight jacket <laughs> escape is like a perfect example of that. If it's big, then yeah, they'll remember that. And, uh, and magic is kind of like that. They remember some crazy effect that you did more than they'll remember anything about the show. They'll, there's some big takeaway. And uh, we, we kind of know that. That's, you know. You're always trying to figure out what that's going to be. What you know, and we're always asking. You know, what did you like the most? What was your favorite trick, or what was your favorite part of the show? And and you do enough of that polling, and you start. How do you go about selling tickets? Where do you find ticket Ooh. buyers? Um, I do everything I can. You know, send out press releases. You know, try to get mentioned in the in the papers, all that stuff. Uh, you know, post on uh, group events pages. Send out personal emails, posters, everything. Right. Try to be on somebody else's show. Talk about <laughs> your magic show. I mean, it's it's a lot of work because it isn't very common. But what I have found is that when people do find out about magic and they go to the show, then they're like, "Man, that's what's great." I don't know why I never didn't know anything yeah. about this. Then all of a sudden, they're like fans for life or whatever. Do you? Uh, yeah. Do you have a following? I do. It's not a huge following, but I I have a core group of people, thankfully, that are my fans. That. Uh, you know, I can, everything I can rely, you put out. Yes, yeah. I can rely on them, and you know they're always there to thankfully to help me. And and I've learned uh, to really appreciate my fans more than I did in the past. I I used to think my I, I didn't realize who my fans were. I thought I some pe- I was looking at people as I wanted them to be my fans versus accepting the people that were my fans. And those were two different things. And because uh, you're always trying to impress somebody so that yeah. they like you. Right? <laughs> I, I want so and so to like me, so I'm trying to impress them, but. They don't like me. I don't know why they don't like me. So I'm always trying to get them to like me and ignoring the people that already like me. 
And so I finally figured out, I was like, you know what, just make sure that you're doing the right things for the people that already enjoy you. And those other people will come as well. You ever uh, been attached or anything? You ever like made somebody really upset? With magic? Yeah. Oh man. I, well, there's a couple of routines that I do and I'm, I'm kind of wondering if I should bring these back, but I kind of like that. I kind of have a little bit of a, you know, I'm kind of a little bit of a, what do you call it? Practical jokester a little <laughs> bit, you know? So I've got a couple of effects that I do. For instance, uh, you don't see them very often. And that's the reason why I originally started performing them. But there's a, there's a knife through coat routine where you take a knife and you poke it through somebody's coat and it's, it's anybody from the audience. You just have them come up, and I usually like to pick somebody who's got a really nice coat, right, like, like you. <laughs> so I'd go, you know what, I'd have you come up on stage, and we'd talk a little bit, and I'd ha- and then I'd have you take your coat off and know that you like your coat, and you don't want anything <laughs> to happen to it. I got this whole story about how I'm going to like, how I worked with this, uh, you know, this um, uh, Zen master with fabrics and material, and he taught me how to push uh, through the fabric, you have to do it really quickly and you have to use something really sharp. And I'm going to do a demonstration. I end up, I bring out a knife and I tell him, don't worry. I know how to do this. And you find a, a seam line on your jacket and we'll find one on the back. Cause there's always the two pieces of your jacket yeah. come together in the back and there's this one seam. And so I demonstrate that I'm just going to push the knife through the seam there. And if I just get it in between the threads, it, it'll pass through your coat and it won't damage it well they don't believe any of that you know what and this knife is huge it's it's not like a little thin sewing needle there's absolutely no way that that knife is going to pass through this guy's coat unharmed so they are freaking out the entire time and i love it because it's just like talk about the tension you know (laughs) this guy's nervous the audience is nervous for him i'm acting like it's no big deal i've got this huge (laughs) crocodile dundee knife and i'm telling the guy don't worry about it you know we got magic and all I'm going to do is push it through the knot, through this uh, coat, and it goes through the coat, and it's a very visual, and they watch it go through, and man, it's just like. It's, Have you ever had it not work out as planned? I've had people freak out, <laughs> like they really thought I screwed their jacket up, like they were mad. Yes, people get mad they, if it's a, like some vintage coat or something like that. They're just absolutely mad. I had one lady that um, she was already saying that I owed her money for a coat and she was just mad. And she said she didn't want to do this. And she was so mad that I did this. And this was like her favorite coat and all that. And that I put a hole in it. And and I even do this gag where I, it looks like I stuck my finger through the hole. Like I did make a hole yeah. and I'm wiggling my finger through it. I mean, she thought that her jacket was just ruined. And you never touched the jacket, right? Never it, ruined yeah. the jacket. Yeah. I never even put the knife that's on what I'm the coat it just itself. looks like it, yeah. I never touched it. I never <laughs> once, I, I do it for a reason. I never actually touched the, the, the jacket with the knife, ever. Not, not once. And, uh, yeah, but it's crazy. They just go nuts. I love that one. But at the same time, it's like I stopped doing it because it puts them in such a terrible position where they're just like, ah, why are you doing this to me? And then, and then there's a win at the end, but I, I started to like go, well, I, you know, See, I, have this I should thing torture where, like, these people. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's be nice. I can do magic without having them. Yeah. Cause out. see, that's all I think about is how I would want to do that. Like, uh-huh. I think what I would want to do is like pick like the sleaziest guy, like yeah. the guy Sometimes just looks, you have no choice, but 
whoever's you know, there. So you're like picking a guy and like his wife and mm-hmm. just being like, so there's this thing you can do to tell if somebody's cheated on somebody before and just okay. watch everybody's <laughs> oh, tension. <man>. Yeah, right? <laughs> I'll tell you what, you gotta be real careful. You gotta be real careful. People will. So that's that's where I would go. I just love yeah. to mess with people a lot. Yes, um yes. and just watch everybody get real tense. Uh, What's about to happen? I'm like so turn your hand like that. You know, just, uh-huh. just none of it means anything, obviously, right? Uh but I yeah, that's totally what I would do. You might make a good magician. You might make a good And um, now the torturer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or I'll get killed, one of the two. <laughs> Probably. Um, most of the men in the audience are ready to kill the magician. I just want to tell you right now. <laughs> when you're doing magic, like half the guys in the audience, you can just guarantee they're like, um, if he brings up my wife or my girlfriend, <laughs> if he asks my girlfriend to be his assistant, I'm going to kill him. I mean, and so half the guys wanted like my kill favorite him is already. when like a uh, <laughs> like and you already know this when a woman's really attractive and her man knows she's really attractive, yeah, and he's just like everybody's looking at her. Oh, oh yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> I do this. I, I do this effect where um, at the end, ultimately, the phone rings and someone in the, the spectator in the audience is calling my phone, and there's like, how did I get that guy's phone number or whatever? It's just a, a great math trick that works where I get different numbers from different people in the audience. And it ends up being my cell phone number that they call from their own phone. And uh, but when I, I went out into the audience and I asked, you know, do we know each other? Uh, you don't have my phone number or anything like that, do you? And I asked that to a lady who was there with her husband. And uh, usually it's not that big of a deal. But the husband was like, you better not have her phone number. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, I I just wanted to let the audience know that this was not pre-set up. And this guy was like, you better not remember. And I was like, yikes. So Dude, some people are real serious about that. Yeah, I mean, the same thing I think happens at comedy shows. Yeah, yeah. Huh? Um, there is uh They think they're at a comedy show. That's the worst part. It's like, <laughs> hey, no, 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 no. You guys sit and watch. No. Like uh, I was at a, a no Theo Bond show. And do you know who that is? Comedian. And not sure, not sure. he was saying that uh, he was his father was seventy two when he was born, um, and a lady oh. yells, "That's oh. not true!" And he goes, uh, "Ma'am, I think I know the age of my own father." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm just amazed at people are like, "Hey, I'm going to go here, get drunk, and just yell." Like it's just like to me, I just don't get how that becomes a thing. Well, the environment and okay, so. That's like at a comedy club. So at a magic show, we try to nurture a different type of environment. And it's all about how we, from the minute they come into the door, that's that whole Cirque du Soleil thing. So I want an audience to sit a certain way and react a certain way. And it's all about getting them um, to, to start being in that form from the minute they get there. So uh, there's all kinds of things in place to keep those hecklers to go ahead and start muting that. You know, so uh, there's little tricks that you do so that you don't get that. So you take that kind of that wild crowd and you sort of like thin them, you sort of like <laughs> tame them, you know, as they start coming in. I guess it's a simple way to put it. And by the time they're actually sitting in their seats, they're not that wild crowd anymore. But you yes. have to do all these things to get them there. And then uh, and then you can have, they can have fun in their seats. It's not like they're going to sit there and it's going to be like, they got to sit there with their hands in their laps and stuff. But they're less likely to be that against you. Yeah. You want them to be with you, so not against you. As an artist... Do you have a story of the worst client you've ever worked with? Because uh, uh, there's a guy that, you know, yeah. runs HC. We do design development. We've had 
I don't know, probably a thousand clients. I would just say, you know, most of the time uh, with my clients, um, I want to win, you know, and I want them to win because I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, if I'm here, if I'm already committed to this, we're going to win. Whatever that winning is for you, whatever it is that you want to whatever goal is that you need out of this, we're going to get that, whatever that is. I'm, you got me on board. That That's your, you, know, <laughs> you got your, you know, you got your, uh, you know, I'm going to catch the ball. Just, yeah. All you got to do is throw it to me and I'm going to be right there in the end zone. Okay. And, uh, and I know you need, you got me here for the fourth quarter and you got me here on that two. I'm putting in a foot, foot, football terms yeah. here. You got me on the two minute drill. That's usually when they bring me in. They're like, we got to get across the line, man. And we need you. We need to get across the line. There's a lot of pressure. So in all years in your art, you never hired, was hired by somebody who was insane. Oh yeah, for sure. That's what I want to hear about. Uh, now I back out. Usually if it's crazy, crazy, then <laughs> I'll have to get out. If I see that there's no way to win, we're not going to win because the team is not ready or whatever it is, or this is like not the right. The, but the, give me some examples. Talk, tell me, I want to hear stories. Oh man, I, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. You don't and, have to name names. Uh, you know, and also I kind of wanted to say that we hit a reset with the pandemic. So I'm like all that old stuff. I'm trying to let it just, you know, water under the bridge <laughs> and stuff. I think one of the worst ones is, is kind of like what I started describing, which is, when people bring you in at the last second and they expect you to fill these other shoes, they had this idea in mind on the project. What was the project? Uh, it was a performance, a uh, live performance, and they wanted to have some multimedia in the, in the show. And so they had these big ideas of what they wanted. And they were working with the, uh, an artist that was going to provide all this stuff for them, uh, create all this original content and do all this projection mapping and all this stuff. And, um, all great stuff, all the kind of stuff I can do. Um, but um, that particular artist had months to work on it, and uh, but he backed out at the last second. So all of a sudden this project is not going to happen the way that that artist sold um, that, that client <laughs> on. Yeah. So now, but this client still wants that. And uh, so they're like, hey, so can you do this? Uh, we only got two weeks. Here's that two-minute drill again, and we need to cross the, the line. Can you Can you do this for us? And I was like, no 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 so there's a lot of no 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 i'm not doing this two weeks really this guy had six months i just gotta tell you right now you're giving me two weeks this guy had six months and i have to create all this original content for like an hour and a half long production i'm like what and i've got to do all this other stuff i'm like man really and they're like yeah can you do it and i'm like well yeah i can do it but usually i need like six weeks or something Anyhow, um, I did it, and they at the end they won all their stuff that they won. They got all that recognition and all that. It's just you being awesome. But I, all the hell I went through. Like first off, <laughs> yeah, it was terrible because um, first off that remember they thought they were going to get this other package, this A package from that original artist. Which um, since he never provided that, it's kind of like, well, y'all never got that. But they still, everybody in their heads had this, this imaginary <laughs> thing that never came to fruition. And I'm supposed to live up to this standard that never even happened. So everything. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. So everything I brought to the table never measured up to what that other person had done. And, and I was always kind of like, well, but that other person's not here. You've only given me two weeks. I'm bringing you the best I can for right now. And we're going to get it done. And we did. But that entire two weeks working with this particular company was just that where it was just like I never in their minds was leveled up to what they had thought they were going to get and they probably got more and better than they originally thought um but 
that didn't translate to me. I just like I, I felt like the second fiddle guy coming in there to try to, you know, that wasn't doing the best thing that they needed. <laughs> it was just terrible. So stuff like that. I'm just trying. I try to re- listen to the red flags and just and know when to back out. And really, I'm trying to get better at no, 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 no. I can't do it. Yeah. I, can't, I just can't do it. I know. I, yes, I can do a terrible version of it, and it's gonna be great. But I don't want to put myself through that. So I can now. I can just say I'm only doing magic. How old are you? I'm 48. Are you really? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's. I crazy. was going to color my hair, but sorry, I. Does he look didn't. 48 to you? I mean, yeah, man, I'm just terrible at ages. It's the right. So, what's the next 50 years like for you? Uh, hopefully, um, just being a magician, and and if I do art, it's just personal stuff at home. Everything is moving towards the house, so I'm like, you know what, man, I'm like, this is great. I just love. Are you leaving Dallas? I might have to because, uh, <laughs> you know, all the big name magicians and I'm starting to really connect with them are in Vegas or California. And well, California I, sucks. So I would, California I would sucks. Do, Vegas. Vegas yeah. yeah. And uh, right now I've been trying to do this thing where I'm trying to transform Dallas into a magic audience. And it's really hard <laughs> because people don't they don't come here for magic. Dallas yeah. isn't known for magic. So, a lot of big corporations, a lot of boring people. There's a lot of boring people that would be entertained with magic, but for it to be kind of like, hey, I'm going to have the biggest magic venue in town. Uh, you know, this they go to <laughs> Vegas for magic. Yeah. Right? Like there's point. places where they go for magic. Mm-hmm. I can offer an awesome magic show here. That's what I'm trying to do as far as like, you know, I'm, I haven't given up on that, but I just know that the big money success is at a place where, we get all those people always going to see magic. And uh, that's so that's what's happening to the guys out there in Vegas. They're just eating up all the magic patrons. And uh, here in Dallas, I and have you're to, just like, trying to convert. I'm yeah. trying to convert people into magician <laughs> fans and, and get them interested. And this, this, there's a lot of work. Uh, so it might be better for me to just go to a place where everybody's already going for me. Yeah. What do you think about Austin? Austin's kind of a little more that way. Austin is so Austin. So here's 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 my feelings on that on the Texas thing and magic. And I think this is something that is very important. So there's the sideshow stuff and circus. There's circus, sideshow, and magic, and uh, they they all kind of fall in the same thing. And people think that it's all the same, but it's not. And a lot of like sideshow performers have moved to Austin, and there's a lot of sideshow type stuff that does really well in Austin and Houston. That kind of stuff doesn't do very well in Dallas. Like for some reason, Dallas, they like that polished stuff. They they're more in, they don't like the grungy kind of like the hippie fire breathing type of people, right? All those types of people that those types of performers move to Austin. They're, that's more acceptable there and Houston as well. But Dallas wants everything. If you're going to be like a fire breather, you got to be in a in a nice suit breathing <laughs> fire. You know, you have to look yeah cleaned up. Like you got to polish yourself to do Dallas stuff, whereas Austin and Houston that take you as you are. You can be in, you know, you can wear cut off military cut off shorts and look a little grungy and all that kind of stuff, and that's okay. Uh, um, so when you're creating and when you're performing, like magic, it, it, when it's by itself, magic in a circus has all those elements. There's circus and there's fire breathers and there's sideshow and all that. But when you just focus on magic on its own and take away all that other stuff and say, hey, we just want magic, there's magicians are polished. We fit more in with the Dallas thing because we are polished. Yeah. We do the slights. We're not 
breathing fire and doing all that stuff. We're trying to be like the shell game. We're doing like focusing on cards and manipulations and stuff. So we tend to be more polished. And our style of cutting loose is like the Vegas stuff, like more of a show, big show. And uh, so that's why we fit in more in Dallas. Whereas in Houston, that that's more like that big showy kind of glitzy Vegas thing doesn't work there. Yeah. And same thing with Houston. They, they want things more, you know, just more uh, less big and phony and more, you know, personal and real. Now you could give them both. All that's available with magic as well. I and mean, there's all kinds of stuff you can do there. Um, but what I notice in general is that Dallas is kind of that. You got to really polish your stuff. Whereas Austin and Houston, you can be a little bit more kind of side showy. And it's, it's okay. It's acceptable. I Did I answer any of that? I don't even know if I answered any of that. I think so. I mean, it's just, uh, I was thinking, oh, Austin's like hip. They're going to want magicians. And you're like, yeah, but it's a different type of magician. It is. Yeah, exactly. Want, right. They do. They want, they want, <laughs> they would want me to be in the bars and stuff doing that kind of stuff. Like the bar magic. Yeah. And sideshow magic and all that kind of stuff. And as a performer, um, that's kind of like, yeah, that's intro level. You do that kind of stuff. <laughs> but I want that big stage show. And so I'm looking for something a little bit more, you know, Darren Brown or, you know, something just a little bit more like uh, not the sideshowy stuff. And are you making progress on that? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. But I'm um, in here in Dallas. It's kind of like uh, it's your the, Nets in-person show. Oh, man, I just got to get the, it's up to the venues. Okay. You know, I'm just waiting on the venue that I want to perform in. I'm just waiting for them to go back in person. It's a perfect venue. It's a two-story venue. The sight lines for Magic are great. The theater is awesome. It's, it only seats 150 people. There's a bar, uh, and it's got an outdoor area. And you charge $8,000 a ticket. Nope. Those <laughs> nope. tickets aren't. I, and I am going to go up on the prices, but it's not going to be that much. You know, right now, prices are something like 20 bucks, but we might. We might do like 50 bucks or something like that. Ooh. I know. My magician buddies are saying we need to bring up our prices. We're way too cheap right now. And there's really no reason for that, honestly. But it's if you do a good magic show, if you're, if you, if you're not doing the goofy stuff that, they can, that they're not impressed with. <laughs> and some things are just not impressive, whereas Which, other things what are mind-blowing. What is not impressive? Well, I was showing you some slights there, and and so that's kind of impressive. That shows my skill, right? You saw my little skills and stuff. But if I paid $50 for you to do that, I'd be a little mad. Yeah, that's not enough. So so (laughs) slights and stuff, like the sideshow stuff, you just just want a little bit of that. What they really want is to get their minds blown. Which is like you being like, oh, the cart you you picked, it's in your shoe. Yes, it has to be personal. It has to be their card, their story, their reason why they're connected to that thing you know it's their watch that you're wearing it's their handkerchief that's floating it's their stuff it's the collective audiences that are making the choices yeah see it's one of those things that nobody regrets the 50 after it's just always before it's like 50 for a magic show yeah but if you do it right they're like man they there's this like I would have paid twice as much. I know. That's like, it's always after, though. Afterwards. But the front is yeah, like, in the oh, beginning. Yeah. it's right. magic. You know, like. Right? Oh, I don't know. I've never heard anybody say, you know, get all bummed out about it. <laughs> Usually they're excited about magic because they don't know what's going to happen. That's that's, that's one of the great things. And yeah, there are, the only are there thing is magic, you just don't want to like, let so them So there's down. comedy clubs everywhere. Are there magic clubs? I had one of the only ones in Dallas up until COVID. We had the, you know, Confetti Eddie's Magic Parlor. 
and it ran for about 12 years and we won best best magic parlor and we pretty much right up until COVID, i was making the best ticket sales i'd ever made it was like we were are you gonna reopen after COVID, or i can't i left that space because uh, i can't even put people in there anymore we used to be able to pack the house Uh, now everything has to be like you know social distanced and even when we go back to normal i know there's like it's just terrible people aren't going to be want to be that close to each other like before and so that other venue though that i was telling you about i can space people out and there's a balcony and that might be more feasible for the new shows coming yeah so so tell me about this venue you started uh the magic parlor yeah Oh, about this. Oh, okay. Uh, well, <laughs> it was my art studio that I had that I turned into a gallery. So I had that gallery for a long time. At several buildings there in Expo Park, I rented a studio uh, that I turned into a gallery. Okay. And, and then I kind of, it was small. And so I moved into a bigger building and I turned that into a gallery. And I had my studio in the back and I did art shows there for a long time. And then, uh, what kind of people do you meet throwing art shows? Do you meet other artists? All kinds or do you of meet stuff, like yeah. super rich people. Rich people are, you know, at, at one time I was working with the Dallas Museum of Art and we had like the, we have rich people come into the galleries. They wanted to do that, uh, you know, um, go to, to, to see the artists in their studios. My and, favorite is, uh, I went to Nasher, is that what it's called? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. The modern art thing here, the art. And, uh, it was like a film of the people, you know, they built them all. Yeah. North Park, those people. Uh huh. Right. Um, and it's like they were like flying all over the world to meet people that were doing sculptures and stuff for them. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I, and some of those people are really nice. You know, I mean, it's kind of, it might seem intimidating with all the purchases and stuff that they've made in the past, but art people are pretty nice. Yeah, you know, and if they have money like that, they're you know they're not. What I don't like is when they when you're an artist and people with money sort of like tease you with it. You know what I mean? They're kind of like, well, I could buy that if I wanted. But, oh, uh, no. People do that? They, they, people That's do that so stuff, douchey. Man. Yeah, people do that. <laughs> they want you to do like a song and dance, and you're just like, hey, man, I, you know, I go buy, you know, shirts at the mall or whatever, and, and the, the guy doesn't have to dance for me for me to buy that shirt. <laughs> if I want that shirt, I buy that shirt. You know yeah. what I mean? If I want those shoes, I get them. But with the artists and stuff, when you go to the galleries, they want you to like, Oh, tell me your all this stuff and like have you ever sell me about, that. Sell me this painting. And you're have you ever like, thought of just making up everything? I, usually, <laughs> I'm just I start telling them stuff. I'm like, man, get out of here with that stuff, man. I start telling, them, what are you talking about, man? I try to turn it on them and like, really? Hey, man, if you want this thing, buy it. You know, if you don't, I, why are you asking? Why are you bothering? Me? <laughs> no, I think you should be like. I get mad at stuff like that, I and actually, at the end, I quit. I, I stopped. I sold more stuff when I quit going to the art shows. Because I'd get mad at those guys. Like, I didn't want to deal with them, you know? And then I would even tell the gallery, I was like, what are you talking about? You got to get these people drunk to get them to buy something? I buy stuff all the time, and I'm not drunk. You know, I was like, what are you talking about? You know, you got to, oh, it's all part of the thing. They got to, you know, wine and cheese them. (laughs) Trust me, I know. But at the same time, I'm like, hey, man, I just spent like $1,000 on wine, and nobody bought anything. I'm like, you know? I go to I spent you know whatever on something I bought that I was into. Yeah, I bought an iMac and nobody, two grand. Yeah, and, and nobody <laughs> offered me a glass of wine. You know, I was at the Mac place. And <laughs> I was completely sober, and I bought that. So I know you can make big decisions about purchases without having to be all wined and dined to do it. And that that kind of the gallery thing kind of was kind of messed with me like that. See, you should just act like a crazy creative. You should be like, oh, I don't. When they ask questions, like I don't answer questions. Yes, yes. Talk very if I, quietly. When I get in my old man <laughs> painting days, that's what I'm going to do. Um, 
Yes, I was I was at the Himalayan mountains and I was just inspired. And there is, these are my paintings. Just I, make up just crazy stuff. Yeah, I would be better <laughs> off if I did that. If I just did I was, that. When I was kidnapped, when I was in the trunk yes. when, by the kidnappers, I had this vision for this painting. That's then, really, honestly, that's <laughs> all they want. <laughs> Whatever they say. That's all they want. They and just then want just that. don't blink, do the crazy eyes. Mm-hmm. And if, then uh, it's 30 grand. All right, cool. <laughs> I mean, funny thing is, if I could just do that, just get that through my head. I was just so personally connected to the art that i couldn't just do that yeah so you did the typical creative mistake instead yes, just now, bs them that's all they want, they want now some, i could now i know but yeah, then i did it. <laughs> just do some fake story yes because that's really all they want you know i was actually stabbed in the middle of see this red right here that's actually my real blood from when yeah. i was stabbed uh, a guy broke into my home addicted to meth i don't want to get into it <laughs> it's so true it's so true and uh, funny thing is when you realize uh, when you Go down that path and you're actually sort of like telling, making stories and you're realizing that, that you're doing that, the art becomes secondary. And that was a big problem in the art uh, world for yeah. me because all of a sudden it was like, it was a story. It wasn't about the art. The art didn't matter. You know, it was just, that was just a See, like a true artist, whereas like I'm a true businessman. So to me, it's like, it's whatever leads to the deal. Not in like a scammy or scummy way, but you know, it's yeah. like I'm always thinking about like what leads to this deal, and it's like, oh, small talk, lunch, wine. Um, I still want to give you a good product in the yeah. end. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, of course. I wouldn't feel comfortable selling you like a styrofoam. Plate, I don't think anybody would. You know, <laughs> or a half banana. What was half, the, the yeah, man? What was the Miami banana. one? Yeah, exactly. It was a taped a tape banana. You know, yeah. it's like I get it. <laughs> I understand all the nitty gritty about the art and the what they're trying to say. I really don't, but uh, at the same time, oh. It's like, what do you think of uh, the whole fake art thing in the blockchain, uh, what about NFTs, non-fungible t- tokens? Are you familiar with that at all? Oh, man, I almost brought a Bitcoin. I didn't bring it. Sorry. I had a Bitcoin I was going to show you. Um, d- what would you ask me again? NFTs, non-fungible tokens. Uh, I would this just is- do magic with them. Uh, what no, do I think? They're not a... Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> if it was a real coin, I would just do magic no, with No, it's it. not a coin. <laughs> Do you know what an NFT is? I'm trying to think. The blockchain stuff. No, it's an NFT is where you take an image, mm-hmm. and you create a digital version of an image, and you put it online, and somebody can purchase that. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's in the blockchain, so there's only one copy of it, and oh, they gotcha, own the copy, gotcha. but there's no physical representation of it. That an sounds good. just sold one for $69 million. Yes, that makes sense. Okay, I like that. I see what I see the solution there is, because um, otherwise you'd have to make the, you know, you sell in the original painting or you're making prints of the original painting. All that is low price stuff. It's not as much. The, the value is in the original, the, the painting, the one of a kind. So making something one of a kind, like what you just talked about with the NTS. NFT. NFT. That keeps the. But it's all digital. It's all digital. That keeps the value high. So, yes, that makes sense. Because but see, to me, it's like if I can't, like, I don't know. It's like it was credit with a computer. It doesn't impress me. I don't know. There, that's the whole, I, you know, when I was younger making art, I made some art that used neon that lit up, like it plugged in. It was kind of like shadow oh, cool. boxes and stuff. And it was like big and it was, um, there was like, it was controversial at the time. It was like guns exploding and bombs blowing up. It was all this You're stuff. Such a badass. I know. It was like all TNT, five, five of you. TNT. And it was all <laughs> this. So when you walked in, it was like all these explosions uh, going off everywhere in the place and they were all lit up and they were all backlit and it looked really cool in the, in the, in the restaurant that I had you have photos. I could find them, but yeah, send me this some. is kind of an older one. 
but it was at this famous place called Tarantino's, Tarantino's uh, Italian restaurant. And it was a place called the State Bar before. And the State Bar was already known for all these projections on the wall. It was kind of like they would, they used those uh, theatrical lights with the gobos and they would project these really interesting patterns on the wall. And so the place was already known for that. So I knew when I was going in there that, that I had, there was a sort of pre-legacy of what the place looked like before. So I wanted to do something similar, but of course I wasn't going to use, uh, you know, any fixtures. The art itself was going to light, light up. The only thing is, is that they all needed to be plugged in. All sounded great. Uh, until I went in there one day and they didn't have them on. They turned, they, everything was unplugged. So basically there's, it's like, they're just dark. And, uh, I was mad. I was like, Hey, why you guys got the art off or whatever? And they said, Oh, well tonight they're doing something thing and they didn't want any of the lights on or anything like that. And I was like, fuck that. This is like, <laughs> you turn off my art in here. What are you talking about? This shit needs to be on. And so I went, was like fighting with the guys there. I was like, I'm plugging this thing in, man. Can't turn this stuff off. And they were like, yeah, we can turn it off, man. Cause it's, they, they don't want the lights on. I was like, it's not lights, man. This is art. And anyway, we had a big old deal. I ended up pulling my stuff out of there. And I realized then that um, if I can make art that they can turn off, that's not cool. You know, it's the same thing with the digital stuff. If they can make art, then they can just turn off their screens or t- turn that away. Then I don't exist. So I kind of stay away from that stuff. I, I feel the same way. If, you, if there's just a digital copy. That's not enough. Yeah, it's over sixty nine million. Yeah, you want the real dollars. thing because if that crashes, a, a or, digital copy sold for almost seventy million dollars. That's you know, <laughs> I don't know if that'll keep going or not. But you want the real thing. I think yeah. people want the real thing. That's just like a first of its kind kind of thing. Uh, are you familiar with Jordan Peterson, author? Uh, what do you write? Tell me uh, Twelve it. Rules for Life, and then no, but tell me. Um. Anyway. Uh, really amazing author, uh, just a really deep thinker, just intellectual. Um, okay. And uh, he's got a bunch. He was a professor and has like thousands of lectures on YouTube you can find. And um, just really interesting, fascinating, fascinating guy. And for his new book, he hired an illustrator who's also an artist. Mm-hmm. And she had this painting of this like peach that looked really cool. Okay. And I was like, oh, sweet. You know, I think I want to buy that. You know, so I like messaged her. And I'm like, hey, how much for original oil painting of this peach? And she was like, 19000 I was like, oh, never mind. <laughs> but, you know, her stuff was that good. I mean, like, I got it. Like, it was, I wasn't offended by the price. I was just like, oh, okay. The cool. original should be that expensive. <laughs> yeah. Remember, I talked a little bit about how art right now is kind of like not people are artists are making art and they're not selling it for very much. And uh, because of that, they're repeating this process of like, um, not spending enough time on the on the art, not putting enough investment in the materials. So the thing itself, the value of the thing itself isn't very high because there's not enough actual everything in it. There's yeah. not enough time. There's not enough thought. There's not enough work. There's not enough everything in it. So the value of it hasn't gone up because they're, they're afraid to put that much into something uh, if they're not going to get, you know, the 19000 yeah. for it. Somebody's and there's a chance that it just... You know, I don't know. I, I think it's all about if they could have the time to create it because it's like one of those things, put the price tag. It might be 10 years, but like at least you created an awesome piece. Yeah. I, you know, there's paintings I have at the house that aren't, that are mine that I made that I spent time on. I wasn't trying to sell them, but I'm glad I did them. They're finished and I put all the time and effort into them and they're there and somebody will see them one day and they'll, they're like, ah, okay, this guy did it right. <laughs> you know, and, uh, but 
if you're going to sell art and you're going to sell it for like a low price, then you have to work in a medium that is for that, like print work. Yeah. You know, do some screen print type stuff or do some, some things that are fast that you can offer for that price. But if you're going to do, if you're going to try to do nice work and you're, uh, you're selling it for those cheap prices, you're not doing yourself or any other artist any service either because you're not raising the price. You're not raising the level of, you know, what the What's value the of longest you've ever spent on a trick learning it? Learning it? I'm still learning some stuff right now. So it could, t- it takes years. I'm working on some card moves that I'm, I just finally got to level two on some hand slides for cards that I've been working on for years. Crazy. Yeah. It's, it's all about getting your hands all just right. Do you ever have days where you practice for like nine hours a day shuffling cards or anything? You have to almost every day because your hands start getting kind of stiff and then you can't do those coin rolls and stuff. So you always have, or just like balancing the coin, it can get hard. So just like balancing and practicing that all the time, you have to keep all this stuff like your uh, tendons and muscles. So if people want to connect with you, they want to book you for a magic show, they want to follow you on Instagram, they want to see your artwork, where can they do all that? I have all that stuff. It's If they just punch in Confetti Eddie, I'll pop up. I've got the Instagram, the Facebook, and uh, my art blog, kind of my website where I post kind of the bigger things. Um, that's, uh, you know, Edward Ruiz. Art and Illusions. Spell that out. Edward, E-D-W-A-R-D-R-U-I-Z, art, slash illusions. Cool. Anything else before we end? Um, yeah, maybe. Let me think here. What do, uh, Tell me about um, the audience that uh, that's going to be listening. What, what do you think that they will get out of magic so I can help them a little bit? Like what is it that when you thought of bringing in a magician, what what did you hope to get to get from a magician on your show? So I want a magician who tells me all his secrets. That's that's what I want. Oh, okay, and yeah. none will do that. Um, so that's you know. So I think that's I think that's what everybody. But we wants. did. But you did yeah, get a some little secrets. bit. Yeah, you did get some secrets. Uh, so I think we got that. Yeah, I mean that's 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 ultimately what I want. I just want to know more about like train of thought and like how you commit to this being a career. And I think we went through a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then what are like, you know, like, so this is how, how life is, is that first time you do something and you go, Oh, this is, this is easy. Then you go a little further in and you go, this is the hardest thing in the world. And then after 10,000 hours of doing something, you're like, uh, this is easy again. Like there's this. And so what's the starter pack of magic that people are like, Oh, that's cool. That's not a lot of time, not a lot of effort, not very hard. What 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 are those moves? Like one's the cut the deck one handed, and two the the bridge you just bridging and fanning. Yeah, that's all. That's all easy intro stuff. And then um, so it's like this, right? Mm-hmm. The easy things that people get into. There's a lot of card tricks that are automatic that you don't have to know any slights. Uh, I usually stay away from those, but there. <laughs> but those are kind of some intro stuff. Yeah. Uh, man, magic, you just really, everything, once you dive into magic, you realize you really got to practice magic. And to, step to one it. is just ordering some books from the early ordering, 1900s. Yeah, all that stuff. Show, That's the best everything. stuff. You know, magicians, you always hear this, and uh, they say if you want to keep a secret, put it in a book. And that's true, <laughs> because um, I'll buy books that have been sitting that every magician should know right now, uh, but you'll pick up a book and thumb through a chapter, and you'll find a gem of an effect that nobody knows. That hasn't been seen. It's just because nobody's reading these books and they're just, they're sitting there 
And there's so much good stuff that people still aren't performing <laughs> that's just in books ready to, I mean, there's just so much good stuff. Who would stuff. have ever thought good things come from reading? They're in there. <laughs> I just picked up some new stuff straight out of a book that I just didn't think where you, you uh, had anything you, Are there. you going to Amazon? Are you going to bookstores? Where are you finding these these books? Other magicians, you know, okay. they'll turn you on to it. And, um, you know, that, um, that story I, I worked on with Dr. Jeffrey Grimes, he has, um, so he started a magic club um, at the college that he works at, Mountain View College. It's a Mountain View College uh, magic club. And uh, part of the club is uh, he started this Mark Wilson's Magic Club that's sort of part of the Brookhaven, I mean, the uh, Mountain View thing. Uh, Mark Wilson is a famous magician who's from Dallas that nobody knows. So we, uh, so there's this huge international magician who came from Dallas um, that actually, he's from the 50s, and he started a lot of that first television stuff, like this is no trick camera angles and all that. That's the guy who coined those phrases. He's from Oak Cliff. He grew up in Oak Cliff. He went to Sunset High School and graduated from SMU. And this guy is a world famous a magician. And like I say, he's from the 50s, 50s and 60s. So he's probably, you know, a little, your parents' age and stuff like that. They probably recognize that or your grandparents might remember them. Um, but um, I didn't know that this guy existed. I grew up from, in Oak Cliff. Now, had I known that we had a famous magician that came yeah. out of Oak Cliff, like we all knew Stevie Ray Vaughan and, you know, there was like, <laughs> Several other people from Oak Cliff, we, you know, Edie Buckel, you know, those people from Oak Cliff that we were like, yeah, these are our people. But I didn't know we had a famous magician from Oak Cliff, from Dallas. So part of what he's doing is trying to just spotlight this magician and trying to bring, try to let people know that, hey, Dallas has actually been a place for magic for a long time. We have a lot of big name magicians that live in Dallas, Diamond Jim, Dallas Sanders, uh, Trig Watson used to live here. Uh, so we have a lot of magicians here in town that work, do cor- corporate stuff or fly to other things, the Magic Castle. They just don't have a place to perform here in Dallas, which is really strange. But it's And then you created that, right? I, then I had that. Pl- I created that place, and I started bringing those people there to perform there. And that's when I learned that it's just kind of hard to get non-magic people into <laughs> magic. And, uh, and, but we were still, we were doing really well because the word of mouth was getting out and people do love magic. Do you think you'll start another club again then? If I start another club, I need to get some partners, um, because it's gotta be right. And the ultimate concept is to have kind of like that dining experience. Um, so another big city that I love is Chicago and, uh, Chicago is known for their magic. Like Chicago is known for magic. And they have a certain style of magic called Chicago magic. And it's all about close-up magic. Like Anytime you see close-up shell game, you know, the cups and balls and stuff like that, that's like like signature Chicago magic. They bring the stuff to your table. Like the idea of a bartender who bartends and does magic, that's Chicago magic. Interesting. And uh, so that whole thing, um, they created – so. They didn't have a venue in Chicago for many years. They didn't have one venue. Everybody like here in Dallas was just kind of working their gigs. But they all got together and decided, let's open up a venue. And they did. So they converted this um, laundromat into what is now called the uh, Magic Club, the Chicago Magic Club. And the minute that place opened, they sold shows out for like months in advance. They became like the biggest club in Chicago uh, best night. So kind of like the comedy club in, in yeah, LA. Yes. And comedy there's only sport. one. And this place is like, they've got 
a bar you can go drink at and just hang out at the bar. If you, if for people that just want to hang out at the bar and nightlife, do drinking, hanging out at a bar, but the bartenders do magic. Uh, if they're sitting at the booths, somebody will come and do magic at their tables. So they've got, I, that might be me. So they've got all this, um, so they've got that whole thing where it's like, kind of like Dallas here. People like to go out and drink, right? So they sort of, they give you that. They give you the drinking nightlife, and then they start slipping in some magic. So when you get excited about magic, then they tell you, hey, guess what? We've got another room you can buy tickets to, and we, got a, we have a little oh. parlor room, and they'll do a whole little close-up thing just for you guys. Yeah, get away from the yeah. loud music and all that stuff and go into this little parlor and see some shows. And they've got that, so people get turned on by that. Then if that experience is it for you, that's great. But if you really want to go into the next level experience – They've got a theater that that sits maybe, I don't know, 150 people in there. And it's like a raised seating and it's like a theater with a curtain and all yep. that. And now they got the big stage show. You can buy tickets to that. So there's three levels of experiences for a patron. And uh, so as they get yeah, accustomed to the experience. Like, oh, I'm into this thing now. And they yeah. keep going down the funnel. Right. That made sense. They've got something that they're familiar with, the drinking and the nightlife, and they're having a good time. <laughs> and and like most magicians, we would work in that environment and we'd try to sneak in some magic. Hey, while you're hanging out, let me show you a trick. That whole thing is happening. But then the thing that didn't exist before was opening it up to these other things so if i were to do something in dallas it would have to be like that because that's the model there's definitely the money here there's somebody there's the money here this. i just need to find that guy that's like okay um i'd like to be the restaurant part of it yeah and uh and let's get this building i'll do the restaurant i'll do the bar I, I'll, i'm all about the bar just sales. identify identify who the top restaurant in your people are Mm-hmm. And just reach out and like, just go, hey, let's, yeah, that's the way to do it, man. I need to do that, yeah, because there's so much new development. Because there's always, there's always in every hot city, there's always one 35 year old with a restaurant group with sits trendy restaurants that are you know game changing, game setting. He's been in the Dallas newspaper. He's like you know he's the restaurant. He's the young restaurant guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's going to that guy and saying, hey, I have a new concept for you. I found a couple guys that are kind of like. Prospects, and then there's. I'm just trying to turn them into lovers of magic as well. That's that's the tricky part. It'd be nice to find someone who who's like that hip and that into it, but also is also excited about magic. See, the I minute think, you tell them, they're like, "Yeah, that's it." See, I I've think, been waiting for this. No, I think you just find the dude that's obsessed with the restaurants, and you handle the magic side. Yeah, that's probably what it's going to have to be more more than likely. And yeah, thanks for coming on. 